Hello, hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. So, tonight, five great callers. The first was a twofer. It was a man and a woman who were at the recent event that Milo Yiannopoulos was speaking at, where there were violent people attacking the crowd. There was a shooting, and they reported what they saw, and we talked about what it means with regards to political discourse and basic human safety for free speech in America. Now, the second caller wanted to have a conversation about spanking. Was there ever a time where spanking could be considered justified in a parenting scenario? A bit of an odd conversation, but I think it speaks to why spanking is not a good idea when you hear his responses to my pushback on his hypotheses. Um, I think it's very, very illustrative and instructive. The third caller took issue with my skepticism towards the concept of human rights, or at least how much the word rights has been co-opted to mean things I want that the government must get for me. And we had a good conversation about that, where we agreed, and, and whether you can rescue language from those opposed to your perspective. Now, the fourth caller was really upset about the recent kidnapping of the mentally challenged young white man by the black group of men and women and his torture and so on. And we talked about that in relation to objective morality. What could go wrong in people's lives where they feel this is a good idea or a good plan to follow? Now, the next caller wanted to know why I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I seem to follow many of his teachings, and it was my origin story, my backstory. And why don't I believe? And we had a conversation about philosophy and helplessness in the face of reason and evidence. And the sixth caller, well, let's keep it brief, he got dumped by a single mom. And we tried to figure out why, why, why. So please, please enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Remember, it's not free. Not free. Everything has a cost. And if you'd like to help out with the costs, it's the right thing to do. You you know, right? You know that. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Without further ado, here we go. All right. Well, first today, we have L and Sam. Now, they don't know each other, but they both tried to attend Milo's recent speech at the University of Washington, which erupted into protests and violence, rocks being thrown at people, paint being thrown on people, gang beatdowns as riot cops watched on. It was a pretty crazy scene. So welcome to the show, L and Sam. Hey, guys. How you doing tonight? Doing well. Can you hear me? Yeah, can hear you fine. Um, so give me give me the lowdown. Give me the story. What what was going on? Well, I arrived earlier, a little around uh, five o'clock, and you know, there's a, a student line and a non-student line, and it was actually really peaceful. Everybody was uh, in line, was laughing and having a good time. I actually ended up playing video games with one of the the kids in line that ended up bringing his laptop and. You know, people were talking about, you know, uh, different politics and how they each found Milo. And it was pretty calm until uh, until Antifa and the Black Lives Matter uh, crew showed up and it got insane from there. Um, you know, I'm six foot tall and and martial uh, i do martial arts so i wasn't particularly scared of things but when bricks start flying through the air it gets gets pretty insane 
Um, not, not, not a lot of judo can help you with that. Right. Right. And what was crazy for, for me was that like during the experience, when there was, you know, what seemed like three, three rows deep of people covering their mat, uh, covering their face with masks and, you know, screaming, calling me a Nazi and all the other fun words that people that attend Milo shows get called, uh, for me, it was more of a like, well, fuck you. If you're going to, if you're going to attack me, I can, I can defend myself. I'm not going to be intimidated by you. Um, and it only was until later did I fully grasp that, like, you know, somebody could have come up behind me and hit me with a brick. You know, there were people with, uh, signs made out of axe handles that they then taped their cardboard sign to. So if things got, Suppose, you know, that's, I don't know, that's pretty scary if you ask me, like, okay, an axe handle can move fast, and it's hardened wood, and, again, it doesn't take much to, to really start doing some damage. Well, and the left is kind of into this sucker punch shit, right? Yeah. No, uh, I mean, they, they don't tap you on the shoulder and say, all right, let's go. They're like, boom, out of nowhere. Sucker punch. Right, and then, well, and it's uh, like With all due respect tap- to L, girly shots. But, sorry, go ahead. Right. And it was, uh, and it was this cry bully bullshit of just, you know, run up. And I mean, there's a, a few people that came through the line where I was at and pushed and shoved and knocked hats off. And if you tried to retaliate, they would run away and call you all sorts of names. And it's like, well, f- what? You guys just fucking attacked me. Like, you, you come and assault me and then claim that I'm somehow the aggressor. Like, it, it was, uh, I kept, Sorry for not having better words for it, but it was crazy. It was just like the definition of insanity where I'm, I, I felt strange because when, because I, I felt like I was going to be put into a situation where I was going to need to defend myself. And then when I do that, everyone is going to take the other person's side. Like, oh, whoever came up and punched you. Yeah. And you retaliated but you could have retaliated in a different way or you could have been nicer about it. And, uh, I was about 30 feet away from the shooting when it happened. And I know there's a lot of conflicting reports out there as to, you know, what's going, uh, like who was who and what was going on before, at, before the shooting. But there was like real violence. People, uh, like the kid that, the kid that got paint smashed on his head and his uh, face bloodied, I was like, I saw him five feet from me at, uh, you know, at different times. I backed off once, once he got uh, people around him and once cameras got in his face and he was, you know, doing his own thing and it seemed like he was okay. But there's no doubt in my mind that the, that the shooter was acting in self-defense. Right. Now, um, did you see the race of the shooter and the victim? I've read some stuff, but I wanted to know if you had eyes on the ground I, views. It, it happened behind me at the at the time. Um, I I heard this uh, pop. I think it was a little caliber round, uh, like a twenty-two, but I'm not certain. Again, it was behind me, and there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, I know that the uh, from what I've read that the the shooter was male and he was protecting his wife and that's everything that uh that lines up with what 
I heard people around me talking. I mean, I heard this pop. I look around, I see somebody getting drug away. I see a little bit of smoke and a woman uh, acting hysterically, like genuinely hysterical. And her husband consoling her saying, I I got you. You I got him or I got you. And it was at that point that I kind of pieced together that somebody just got shot. So it was uh, it was pretty crazy. Now, did you end up getting inside? I did not. Uh, very, very few people got inside. Uh, almost as soon as the doors open, uh, opened, there was that's when the Antifa crowd came and barricaded the front. So there was the riot police and then about three or four rows deep of this crowd that barricaded everybody in and uh i mean kudos to the guys that were running the event they were trying to keep everything calm you say like okay you can't push through these guys because then you push them into the police and once the police start getting pushed around they'll shut down the event so we were we had our hands tied a lot of just while being in the crowd not being able to push back not being able to really really do anything because if you tried to push through you, you would get attacked like several people did and or you would push them into the uh the cops and then the the cops would then threaten to shut down the whole event i'm i'm i find this um somewhat confusing not from you know eight years of obama or whatever i find this confusing because it doesn't seem overly complicated to me which is if people are blocking the entrance you tell them to move if they don't move, you arrest them and you remove them. I mean, I don't know how this shit escalates to this degree. People start throwing rocks. You just go and arrest people because that's the initiation of the use of force, as is blocking the entrance. I mean, what the hell is the point of having the cops there if they're not putting assholes in handcuffs? Am I missing something? Um, no. Okay, go. Sorry, sorry. I've, I've talked a lot. Um, that's one of the things I noticed that I was really surprised about. Um, they were throwing bricks for a few minutes, probably, and I didn't see a single one of them get arrested. Why? I don't know. The well, I mean, what, what, am I, what am I missing here? I mean, try, try doing that at the parliament or, or Congress. Try going and throw some bricks at people and see how long you last, right? I don't, like, are they told to stand down? Are they told to, well, you know, the, the Republicans are easy targets and, you know, I mean, I don't, I just don't fundamentally understand it. I mean, they're breaking the law. They are assaulting people. Uh, they are blocking the entrance, which is another form of assault. I just don't understand. Arrest them. What, what, again, what, am I missing anything obvious? They were really outnumbered um, by the, the police. And I think... I, I mean, I guess it's possible that they were worried about attacks from them. Um, but but that's that's their job. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, like, it's like the fireman saying, well, you know, that that fire looks looks pretty hot. Uh, don't think I, I mean, that could be kind of risky. It's like, I'm sorry, man. That's the job. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you don't want you don't want the EMT fainting. Oh, blood fainting. I mean, sorry, this is the job. I mean, you have to arrest assholes if you're a policeman. That's what you're paid for. That's the whole job. That's the whole gig. Right. Yeah, and it was really frustrating um, being attacked by them and the police standing there and watching. I don't. I mean, do they think? 
Uh, yeah, I, I, and, and, and if you're a cop, you know, I know Mike Cernovich has talked about the people, the cops have had stand-down orders. Um, boy, I hope they find that stuff. If, if that is the case, I hope they find whoever told the cops to stand down. And um, I hope that person faces an entire planet and a half world of hurt, because that is truly astonishing. A peaceful gathering of people who wish to share ideas and be entertained. And they're getting bricks thrown at them. Um, and, you know, there's axe handles. There are people out there. I mean, I know that to have the flag as the base, like you have to have a cardboard rather than a wooden thing because I guess it could be used as a weapon, but that's the whole job. And if they're not doing it, sorry, I mean, that's just unbelievably wretched and enabling. And of course, it's why it's why this stuff happens. I mean, if, if it's like, oh, the other thing too, as far as I understand it in certain places, particularly in Washington, you're not allowed to roam around the street with your face covered up. And when all of these guys um, for the inauguration and so on, they're roaming down the street with their face covered up. Why aren't they just arrested? Like, I don't, again, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it's a whole Ferguson effect thing. I don't know. But, um, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the the things that I was just having, a, like, when I ended up, after things started getting violent, uh, quite a few people started to leave, which makes sense. But the ones that stayed in the crowd, I noticed were quite a few military folk, and I ended up hanging out with them for a while and then uh, and going out and getting drinks afterwards just to kind of talk things through. Because, again, when things get really crazy, it was just, wait, did you guys see what I saw? And the the simple fact that the pro, the protesters were covering their face means that they are not wanting to be identified. And, yeah. like, outside of a you know, make America great again hat. There was no one in the, uh, in line to, uh, to see Milo that was covering their face up that, uh, you know, I talked with amazing, amazing people that were, you know, leather workers and different tra- uh, tradesmen talking about how they, you know, how well they're raising their kids and, you know, ended up having some really good conversations until people in mass screaming at us and calling us Nazis showed up and like, and that's, that's so mind boggling to me. This like, how the, how the fuck do you, how do you call yourself good when you know that by the simple fact that you're covering up your face means that you don't want to be identified? I mean, Oh yeah. Like, all, like all try roaming into that, a bank with a, with a full on hoodie. You know, they'll say, look, it's really not that hot in here, and you sure as hell don't have to worry about rain, so perhaps you'd like to take your hoodie down, because otherwise it just kind of looks like you're avoiding our security cams. Right. And so, like, I mean, I've seen me in the background of various uh, various photos and things, and I don't, I don't care that people saw me there. I'm proud that I was there. It was a lot of fun until, you know, the assholes showed up. Um, but the, the fact that they're, like, they're covering their face and, you know, linking arms and attacking. It's like, in what way do you justify that this is acceptable, that this is okay? And in, in, in what way are you the, are you the good guy? Cause I don't, I mean, I don't think people go to these protests thinking that, that they're about to commit evil acts. And maybe I'm just naive, but no, they do. Yeah. I think some of them do. Sorry. Sorry. Al, you were going to say, 
I think that's one of the really scary things for me to see all these people who live in my city and go to the college down my street doing these horrible things. They have they have no empathy for people or ability to see how, you know, throwing bricks could hurt people. I, I don't know if they truly understand. Like, I'm, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they actually, they believe that that they are somehow in the right in these situations. Well, I mean, first of all, the fact that they call people Nazis while using violence to suppress their political uh, speech that's kind of what Nazis did. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, um, I mean, the whole idea that, that violence is justified if you disagree with people, I mean, that's the complete opposite of civilization. Uh, free speech is, it's not just a value. Free speech is the value. Free speech is everything because it's the only way we have to correct idiots and assholes who are doing bad things and saying bad arguments um you you have to have free speech and uh, it's not a conditional thing and it's not a well unless you're they're really offensive free speech of course is designed to protect the people whose opinions you find the absolute most hideous that you could possibly imagine and uh, it's not i mean it's not there to protect your friends it's there to protect your enemies from you, so that you are then further protected from your enemies using it back against you. So, um, yeah, they had, um, you know, they showed up with baseball bats. They showed up with sharpened signposts. They had bricks and uh, wooden poles, heavy pipes. Yeah, they, they came to uh, to break people's bodies. That was, the, well, I mean, a lot of them, that, that was the plan. I was, uh, I was reading a, another article because... After this, I uh, I did a decent amount of decompressing with my fiance just as far as staying home. But I then started looking at the articles once they started coming out. And there was a, a local park that uh, I'm forgetting which organization it was. But uh, basically, the police confiscated like actual weapons that people were bringing pipes. And they were going to take weapons to this event to do harm. Like... And it, it, it seems it seems to me like they're like the the leftists and the I don't want to say uh, provocateurs because that's how Milo identifies himself and you know I think a lot of what he does is noble but these people that are trying to incite violence it's it's like they're wanting us to attack so that then uh, like wanting to attack so then we can counterattack they could film the counterattack and say we need to defend ourselves from these hateful awful people look how bad they are we told you they were this bad and now here's the proof yeah i, I think you're right that kid who got attacked by the antifa um he was just wearing a trump hat uh he might have said something to them i'm not exactly sure because i didn't see but he walked up to them wearing a trump hat and got beat up by about eight of them yeah, the the hard part about that watching that was his the the kid's dad was like just twenty feet behind him, and his dad was was freaking out as I think any good father would when watching their son get beat up by by eight people. Like he was freaking out. And that was the 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 heartbreaking thing and the the horrifying thing where it, which which set me on edge for sure is this, you know, this guy's, you know, you can hear his, his heart wrenching as he's trying to say like, these people just beat the crap out of my son. 
And you don't know where that's going to stop. And and with this kind of swarming, and again, that's cowardly eight on one, some kid, right? But uh, you don't know why well, someone can slip, someone could miss, uh, you know, there could be a punch to the throat. I mean, you could crack, you could break someone's windpipe, you might heal their nose and push their cartilage into their brain. I mean, you, you don't know. You don't know where the hell this stuff's going to end. I mean, I've done martial arts for, for several years. And the the thing I try and explain to people is like, all right, cool, you know what you're doing in these situations. But really, any person can walk up and punch you in the face. And if you're not expecting it, your neck can be broken and yep. die. Like, And it, yeah. it doesn't matter if they're like 16 and joking around. Like, It could be anyone, any situation. You just your muscles are relaxed at the right time and boom. Yep. And that's, uh, you know, obviously in a, in a riot situation, I don't think it's, you know, um, exaggerating that word to say that this was close to a riot situation, at least is like, all right, let's, you know, those eight people attacking one person, you see this over, you know, three or four times. And then, you know, this man, sees these people coming after his wife and ends up shooting uh, like and shoots them in in self-defense of his wife i know if i was in the same situation i would do the same and it it's frustrating to then see people like oh well that was a complete overreaction no it wasn't (laughs) it was not an overreaction It, it like that was the next step in this escalation that was keep getting driven and driven and driven Right. Now, um, Elle, did you want to uh, add anything? Um, I, I, I wanted to ask a question, if that's okay. Um, I guess that's a yes. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Uh, what can we do um, to stop this? I mean, I, I'm sure that's a pretty open-ended question, but I wrote about this in my email. I just felt completely helpless. Uh, the police didn't care that the door was being blocked to a giant building, which was a fire hazard, um, if nothing else. Uh, they didn't care that we were being attacked. Uh, and I, I don't know. I feel, I feel helpless, and I'm not exactly sure what to do. Well, I mean, as far as in the moment, what, what can you do? I mean, there's, there's nothing, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing you can do in the moment. It's, it's the cop's job, right? Yeah. And if they're not willing to to do this, uh, then um, I don't know that. I mean, it, it's too late in a sense to try and do something then, right? Mm-hmm. So this um, question of what we do in the long run, of course we condemn this. And my condemnation is not even so much towards these individual actors. It, it's it's bad enough. I mean, throwing bricks. I mean, it's horrible, horrible stuff. But on the left, there doesn't seem to be any, any, any introspection as to what is driving this. Any, 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 like, well, gosh, what are we, what are we saying? What are we, what are we doing? How, how is this manifesting? This is my big issue. It's not with the isolated assholes who are doing this kind of stuff. I mean, there are assholes everywhere and they're going to do this kind of stuff my question is why the hell isn't the left saying holy shit the people who claim to represent our team are 
throwing bricks. They're showing up with sharpened implements, axe handles. They're beating people up. There was a gunshot outside an event. They're blocking people. They're throwing paint. They're beating up kids. What have we done that has gotten us to this place? That should be what the media is asking. That should be what the academics are asking. That should be what everyone who posts these kinds of inflammatory escalations. They're Nazis. He's literally Hitler. I mean, all the pe- You've all contributed to this. You've all put your stick on the fire that burns the world. Everyone who escalates and escalates and escalates. And who has not consistently said... The solution must be peaceful until there's no other option. There are still other options. So my concern is that the people on the left, and there are some exceptions, and I accept all of that. This is a very general statement. But the people on the left, they should have a holy shit moment. This is what we've come to. This wild demonization of our opponents, this wild race baiting, this gender baiting, this class baiting, this setting people against people and escalating every goddamn syllable until crazy people are hysterical. You know, the voices that that people are hearing in their heads telling them to hurt people, they're coming from the left. They're not coming from the right. They will if the left doesn't find a way to rein in its crazy people. But the left has to sit there and say, damn, What have we done? And the left has to sit there and say, okay, where do these people get their money from? Where are they getting their support from? What is driving them? What is moving them? What is allowing them and enabling them and encouraging them to feel that they can get away with all this kind of stuff? The left is not doing that. And people have a tough time understanding this distinction. Yes, the individual actors, yeah, they should be arrested. They should be thrown in jail if they're found guilty. I mean, absolutely. Because the initiation of force would happen in a perfectly free society as well if you did this. My question, my issue, is where the hell is everyone else on the left? Where the hell? If Republicans were out doing this, I guarantee you the Republican Party would be sitting there going, whoa, 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 how did we end up here? How did we end up where our supporters are out there beating the hell out of everyone? And until the left starts doing that, And I'll tell you, I'm not expecting them to start anytime soon. But until the left starts doing that, it's going to continue to escalate. And all we can do at the moment, I think, well, be prepared, be safe. But just keep pointing it out. Where is the condemnation of the left? And I don't just mean, well, you know, things went too far or, you know, kids will be kids and we don't agree with that. But but they have legitimate complaints, right? Be referred to as protesters. They're not protesters. They're not protests. Uh, they're not protesters. Um, until the left really takes this on in a very t- a pr- a practical and tangible way, find the source uh, of the income, find the source uh, who's busting these people in, who's paying them. Of course, you know, it's not that hard to figure out. It's not that hard. Uh, until they start doing that, they are complicit. They're, to me, aiding and abetting in general. So... That's, you know, as far as what we can do, just just keep pointing out, A, that it's evil, and B, it's being enabled by the left. And uh, But anyway, so Ellie, let's get back, because we heard from uh, Sam, uh, sorry, L. Uh, L, let's get back to, you know, from when you arrived and, and you know, take your time in, in what happened, you know, for, for the people who weren't there, I'd like them to get a, a, good, a good portrait. Okay, I think I arrived a bit after Sam. I got there about 
half an hour um, before the doors were supposed to open. And the first thing I noticed was that there was a wall of people um, standing in front of the door of the building. Um, there were a lot of cops, but most of them were protesters or maybe just, <laughs> I'm not sure what you would call them. Um, and uh, bullies, th thugs, th I think thugs, thugs is fair, fair enough. Although politically motivated thugs, that's a T word if I remember rightly, but go on. Yeah, terrorists is what I re remember that word being, but... Um, a lot of them had their faces covered, which wasn't very surprising. And around the time that the doors were supposed to open, um, a few hundred people got in, but it wasn't that many. And I started to notice a lot of people, uh, a few people, um, walking back into line with their face covered in blue paint after talking, um, to the people in masks. They had been either, uh, had paintballs thrown at them or just covered in paint. I wasn't sure. Um, and then that kid got beat up, which was really, really scary to watch. Um, because again, I don't know, I didn't see it very well. I wasn't close, but it didn't look like there was any police intervention, um, to break up the fight. And after that, um, they started throwing bricks, which was around the time I started to leave because as Sam has pointed out, there's no way you can fight against bricks. And, um, uh, especially because I I couldn't risk getting hurt because my parents were firmly against uh, against me going. Um, sorry, you're going to say something. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, and as I left, I saw about ten um, fire trucks, uh, ambulances, about five helicopters, <laughs> which was. It was, it was honestly surreal, and it was so weird because it seemed that there were all these people, um, policemen, um, there to stop things uh, from happening, the attacks, but they didn't, they didn't do anything, as far as I could see. And what is the um, feeling like, the experience of facing that kind of assault, that kind of attack? It just didn't seem real. It seemed like something from a nightmare. Uh, I've lived in Seattle not that long, but I can tell you <laughs> mostly what I've seen has been very calm. Um, and it doesn't seem like something that would happen in Seattle or even in the United States. Right. And what was the reaction of the people in the lineup? I mean, did, did, did they circle around? I mean, what happened? Uh, sorry, which people? The people who were in the lineup or waiting to get in? Um, I think most people were just really anxious to get inside. Once um, they started throwing bricks, people started backing up, but they were just surprised, horrified. Right. And were you trapped? I mean, you could you not not escape at that point or slip out somewhere? I mean, at some point you might have re must have recognized you weren't getting into the event, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, at that point, that's when I left. Um, uh, but I was really surprised to see a lot of people, and maybe Sam can tell you about this, a lot of people stayed after that. I wasn't sure why. Adventure? Curiosity? Excitement? Possibly. Yeah. And, uh, and how, how... Sorry, go ahead, Sam. Uh, as someone who is 
like kind of in the fray of it for a little while. Like, um, yeah, th- there was definitely a certain amount of that. Like I'm part of, of this and it, it seemed like, well, if, you know, if we just back down, then the next time, uh, then the next time people are going to, you know, these people are going to figure out that they can just push us around. And again, I, the people that kind of stuck in that group tended to be a bit more, I don't know, hard ass military guys that were like, no, I'm not going to let these, you know, these teenagers or whoever like push me around. I, you know, I heard more than one person say like, no, I fought for your right to protest me. How dare you? Um, and so, so there, there was more of a just a, a res- at least my experience, man. Uh, it was just this, uh, this feeling of like, no, I'm not going to let you push me around. How dare you attack me? And if you really want to attack, you know, we can go down that path if you want, but I don't want to. Let me in. Um, was there any talk of a counterattack? Not that I heard. Uh, the, it's funny that, you know, we were getting bricks thrown at us and the only thing, the only thing that I heard people saying is like, well, why don't we just walk through, like walk through their barricade, you know, their, their lineup, you know, they're just linking arms. Why don't we just push through? And that was as aggressive as what was in the crowd, like people talking. It wasn't like, you know, let's, let's steal some of their signs and hit them back or something. It was just, no, let's push through. And if they attack us, then fuck those guys. And we'll just keep pushing through until we get in. Um, but there wasn't this, you know, there wasn't any uh, like real aggressive, like let's go beat the crap out of every single one of them feeling. Right. Did you get any sense of how the cops were viewing this whole situation? Uh, they were really standoffish. I mean, they, they told people to get off, uh, you know, off the, the top part of the steps and that was it. Um, the, so the, it was, the, the it was more of a suggestion like, Hey guys, well, would you mind awfully well, if you would they, just, they, they pushed him like, all right, get off, get off, get off. And that was when, um, that was when a lot of people in line thought like, okay, they're actually opening up the, the, you know, the protesters so that we can get through. And every single time the, the police actually did something, they were cheered by the people in the crowd. Uh, every, every person that was, um, you know, almost everyone that I was talking to was thanking the police as they rode by. Uh, no, I, I mean, I really wish the police would have done more. They basically stood, the, stood around and looked intimidating, but didn't end up doing anything. Maybe maybe I just didn't see what they did. <laughs> no, I, I think it's it's fairly safe to say that it's not been a wildly assertive police response, uh, in my opinion, to, to this <laughs> stuff. You know, oh, you know, you, these people are openly talking about committing violence on social media. It's not that complicated. You go there with a lot of cops uh, and a lot of paddy wagons and you get ready to do your job, what the taxpayers are paying you for. And uh, if there's more than you think... You can call for backup. I've seen it in movies all the time. You got you got helicopters. I think you can get a few more boots on the ground. And the other thing, too, of course, when you start this kind of stuff, you start arresting people, 
it prevents the escalation of violence. If the police had done their job, it's very possible, in my opinion, it's possible that this guy might not have been shot. And uh, how many protesters did you see? Well, uh, when I got there, there were a few hundred, but at around eight, um, a ton more came. And obviously all the protesters cheered. They were very excited um, to continue their assault on free speech. Right. Yeah, there was a... The the first group that was there was the uh, Antifa group, and they were... um, you know, chanting their stupid chants and stuff and uh, barricading, uh, like blocking us from entering. And uh, th- yeah, then at, a, at around eight, that's when uh, that's when a large group of uh, I believe it was Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Uh, crowd showed up behind us. And that's when that's the only time that I started feeling nervous about the situation is because then we were, then I was flanked. You know, there's people that wanted violence on to uh, front and back of me and the cops didn't really do anything. And that was, that was the only time that I started feeling, uh, starting to feel nervous, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, th- there was definitely several hundred. Right. And the number of people in the lineup to get in, uh, what was your estimate? About 300, maybe a little more. Yeah, I would have... Trapped I, up I, against I, a building and hundreds of protesters or hundreds of thugs, right? I mean, you kind of squished up, right? I mean, there really wasn't any place to get away. Uh, it, it was uh, so that there was the the hall that we were trying to get into, the, uh, the police, the uh, the protesters, and then where the line would go into the hall. And that was, uh, it's called Red Square. And, uh, and we were basically confined to Red Square. So like where the, the common area would be. So we weren't exactly pushed up against a wall, but definitely as soon as Black Lives Matter showed up, we were pretty much encircled. Right. And is there, I guess there's this false narrative that uh, Milo is some sort of white nationalist or whatever. Was that, do you know if that was the Black Lives Matter issue? Oh, yeah. Um, it was pretty funny. Um, I wouldn't call it funny. Actually, um, the, the protesters uh, called people standing in line racist a, a lot. And, yeah. um, of course. And uh, I guess this is the narrative right all the trump trump is a racist all the trump supporters are racist um you guys are trump supporters milo is a trump supporter therefore you're all racist you're all nazis and you then can be aggressed against and it becomes a shining moment of virtue right oh yeah one of the signs that someone said had said hitler had goebbels trump has bannon bannon has milo um not not an argument (laughs) not an argument no, not, not at all. an argument. Also, bricks. Not an argument. Yeah. Wow. Now, um, what has the aftermath been? I mean, you, you you stayed. I guess at some point you you got away. Um, were the protesters or the sorry, I keep using that word too. My mistake. Were the thugs beginning to clear off at that point, or how did you get out? 
Kelly, do you want to tell your your side? So yeah, it seems like you got out of there a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I got out of there around nine thirty, I think. Uh, sorry, eight thirty. Um, which was uh right after the shooting, and um, basically there there are two main exits I think to Red Square. So I <laughs> I made a run for the one um away from the Black Lives Matter protesters. Yeah, and uh, Sam. And with mine, uh, uh, with my experience, I after the the shooting, it was pretty much everybody wanted to get out, and uh, and I, I met some guys that uh, one needed to run back to his car to to grab his wallet for whatever we were uh, we were about to go to a bar and get a burger, um, and the the protesters stayed around for a while. Um, or the thugs they um so we left went to the car came back and we we cut across the red square just to kind of see what was going on because at that point milo was over half halfway through his speech and we figured you know all right somebody just got shot you know this is only going to escalate so we should probably leave um but there was this venom in every thug every processor that i that i saw that was you know you're in the wrong I mean, I don't know how many times just walking through the square, I got told like, you're in the wrong fucking place. You know, you need to get the hell out of here. Cause you know, and I don't want to sound unsympathetic, but then, I mean, there were, there were people sitting there crying because somebody got shot and it was like, do, you were fucking attacking like, and then now you're, you're going to sit there and cry. Like that is literally cry bully. Like that is insane. But then this like, you're in the wrong place. You need to leave. And, uh, we went to the, the bar and got a, a drink or two and they were, uh, they were still there at, uh, at 10 o'clock, like, and still just as nasty. I think they, uh, counted it as a, a win that most of the crowd dispersed after the, uh, the shooting. I think another thing to point out about what you said is that as far as I see, they don't see, they didn't see the conservatives as humans. When when someone was with them who got shot, they were crying. But they found it perfectly acceptable to throw bricks at people. Uh, they just think um, they they saw people standing in line as evil, subhuman. <laughs> that it was perfectly acceptable to kill them. I, I guess. Well, that was the threat. I mean, that's what happens when you throw bricks at people. As some of them could conceivably die. So, yeah, I mean, that, and the funny thing is, too, is that on the left, there's all this theory. I, I don't think that necessarily these, these thugs were enacting him. But there's this theory. There's the other. You know, they, they, they're always talking about the other. Uh, you've got to accept the other. You can't demonize the other. And, and, of course, it's all, you know, everything the left tells you not to do is their battle plan. <laughs> Just every single time. Um, we, we, want, we want peaceful dialogue. Boom! Oh, here comes some bricks. Um, uh, you know, everything they tell you um, is is bad is exactly what they're going to do next. And everything they tell you um, you're doing is what they're about to do, which you're not doing. Remember when when um, when Barack Obama got elected, there was this narrative on the left that uh, all, all, all the right, they were going to get violent. All the people, the Republicans were going to get violent because they couldn't handle a black man as president. They're going to get violent. They just couldn't handle it. That's their plan. 
that, that, that they're telling you exactly what they're going to do. They're just pretending that you're going to do it first. If it becomes impossible to have a right-wing event without these leftist lunatics coming out and, and using violence, I don't think the right is going to say, well, okay, you, you, you can have the planet. We'll just sit here and wait for the camps because that's what eventually comes with the left. I mean, can you imagine if these people had political power? Imagine if the police were 100% on their side. Can you imagine what your life would be like? How short it would be? Yeah, it'd be it crazy. Would, that, I mean, that would be awful. I, because I don't think the left is going to have any realization of this. Um, they're not going to say to Black Lives Matter, look, we understand you're upset about police brutality, but hey, why don't you not kill people? <laughs> or, I mean, I mean, the average liberal seems to be, as I've seen on Twitter, perfectly happy with the assassination of our president. And even my parents said about this event, oh, you know, the protesters, they were just upset about the inauguration, which is I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Your parents said, well, it's kind of justified because they were upset? I di- they didn't think it was justified, but understandable, maybe is a better word. But everyone who uses violence is upset. <laughs> of course. Does that mean all <laughs> violence is understandable? One of these bricks could have hit you and your parents are empathizing with the brick throwers? I think they would say, oh, you shouldn't have gone. You knew it would have been bad. They're upset about the inauguration. Uh, it's the Breitbart guy. He always gets protests. Oh, so you, you just give up. Like you went, went, so you just surrender to violence. You, you give up. You cede over control of everything. You hand civilization over to the thugs. That's, you, just, you just let them run the world, right? That's the plan? Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> I, I, I've, been, uh, I've been told that I was uh, looking to start trouble by going to this event. Yeah, no, no. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people on the left use exactly the same argument when women wear short skirts and get raped. You know, you're just looking for trouble. Just out there, like you, if you're not in a burqa, you're just looking for trouble. Right? See the double standard? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's going to dissolve into like late Weimar Germany. If the police don't step up and do their jobs... And arrest whoever's throwing him. If people in the Milo crowd are throwing, I don't think they would, but if they were throwing rocks, then arrest those people too. But enforce the First Amendment. It's the first for a reason, because everything else depends on that freedom of speech thing. And if the police aren't going to do their job, the right is done backing down. They've been doing that for 50 years. The right is done backing down. That, and that, that, is, that is definitely the, uh, the attitude that, I've, that I saw while, while within the the Milo crowd and the Trump crowd is that, you know, people would say like, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm done with, you know, these people call, uh, you know, call me names all you want, but I'm done catering to them. I'm done being nice. And yeah, that, that was, yeah. If, if the police, if the police are going to defer to whoever brings the most punch to the fight, we know what the right is going to do. I mean, if, if, if it's like, well, you know, the people on the left, they're really dangerous. The people on the right aren't. So we're going to side with the people on the left. So cause then all you're doing is you're encouraging the right to become more violent, to balance things out. You know, there's this horrible idea in the world that you're told to be nice so that cowards know who to defer to. You know, you, you be nice. Like if, you, if you've ever had a sibling where there's a, or a friend where there's a conflict, siblings is more accurate because they're trapped in the house, right? And there's one sibling who's really aggressive and one sibling who's not. 
A lot of times the parent will go to the one who's not aggressive and say, just find some way to get along. Just find, don't antagonize him. Just, you know, play somewhere else, get your own friends. You know, they'll go and try and condition the behavior of the better person, of the nicer person, of the more peaceful person, of the more reasonable person. And they will unconsciously side with, align with, and enable the most aggressive person in the room by lecturing the most reasonable person in the room. And if the right, and, and if that is what is going to happen, I don't think it will. It would have under, it would have got even worse under Hillary, but not so much under Trump. But if the right ever gets that sense that society is deferring to the left because the left is more violent, we all know what's going to happen, right? No, oh, it's going to get awful quick. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, oh, okay. So, so being nice has everyone lecture me and avoid the violent person. Okay. I guess I'm done being nice then, aren't I? I mean, that that's how it's going to go. So, but I think hopefully the police will start doing their jobs. And, and look, the police are, I mean, the Ferguson effect, I think, is very real. And um, if there's a conflict between a white man and a black man, or a black man and a white woman, or whatever it is, right, the police have been Ferguson, right? They've been um, Zimmerman, right? So they're concerned that if they get involved in this um, and, and things go wrong and if a black kid gets shot or whatever and he wasn't armed, you know, that they're going to be politicized into facing what Slager's facing, what other people have faced with this trial. And, you know, I don't know all of the facts about what's going to come out with this kind of stuff, but I think that the police are pretty nervous about that. And that's the media, right? That's that's the media that is causing this. You know, the pen is mightier than the sword. That's why I'm not at the army, right? I mean, the pen is mightier than the sword. And I think that's where it's going to go. If the police felt that they would have the support of people for enforcing the laws. Because the funny thing is, you know, the left is always screaming hysterically about, well, the, the, the police took some, someone on and they were unarmed and unarmed. He was unarmed. And it's like, well... Weren't you all in a gun-free zone or on campus? I mean, everyone who was lining up was unarmed, having projectiles thrown at them. So it seems to me that being unarmed is only important if you're on the left. Being unarmed is great if you're on the right, because then you can't fight back. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add? I appreciate you giving us the boots on the ground for you. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, thank you guys for all the work that you do. Um, this show has really been a catalyst to get my life into a much better situation. And I just wanted to say thank you. You're very welcome. I would actually love to say the same. I really appreciate your show. Well, thanks guys. Thanks so much for calling in. Uh, stay strong, stay, stay safe, of course. And I'm glad that we have a chance to spread this around. Um, if, if we lose free speech, if we lose peaceable assembly, if we lose the capacity to make speeches, and if we lose that, there's nothing left to fight for because there's no way to fight other than rivers of blood. So we hang on to free speech. We we fight back as peacefully as we can against those who would encroach our capacity to gather and to share ideas. And um, that is the last thing that I'll ever fight for because after that, there's nothing to fight for. So I appreciate that you guys stood up for this. And uh, thanks so much for sharing. Let's move on to the next caller. Thank you. 
All right, up next we have James. James wrote in and said, If no other appeal to the child for obedience is functional, and the threat to the child is the child's certain death or severe harm, then would you find spanking justifiable in order to prevent such an event from occurring? That is from Sam. Hi, James. How are you doing tonight? All right. How are you, sir? I am all right. I am all right. Why is this question important to you? Why is this question important to me? Uh, because it's, you know, it relates to certainly my own childhood. And namely that, you know, probably all my surroundings in when I was a young boy were things that could probably kill me. Uh, so, and so like basic, I can just. What, what do you mean? What, what do I mean? Things I could probably did kill. you like grow up on a sword farm or something? I don't I don't quite understand. No, um, that like I was you know I did my grandparents did have a farm and and like uh, and I was there often. So like there's graders, there's black bears, there's all these other kind of things. But in particular, one thing that comes to my mind is my uh, father's garage, and he's a carpenter, and so he's constantly doing work in the garage, and you know. My being a kid, I don't know how old I was, maybe three, four, five, something like that. You know, I want to hang out with my dad. So I'm going to the garage, which is full of nothing but power tools. There is nothing else in there but a table saw, hacksaw, um, the, you name it. It's in there. And being a kid that I was, I want to touch all the buttons or see for myself, touch with hand. And I've done, and apparently I was like this all the time. I remember one time when I was five, you know, like I wanted to touch the stove because, well, it's bright and orange and looks pretty and, you know, it hurt. Uh, but in this particular situation, I guess, um, you know, I want to hang out with my dad. I want to, you know, see what he's up to. I want to touch things. And, you know, he and it, like just imagine that, you know, he's he's in and out of the garage constantly. He and. And like my my mom is supervising or he's supervising, but he can't be closing the door all the time to you know keep me out. He can't lock me in the house forever. I'm sorry, why why can't he? I mean, opening and closing a door. It's not like he has to build the door from scratch. I mean, why can't he open and close the oh, door so keep it's, you out? It's only um, it's only you have the like the garage door that the big door that opens and he's in and out and in and out and in and out. And so, you know, imagine taking you know. A minute every time you go in and out, you know, and you're going in and out every 30 seconds for whatever reason to do an ink all, all kinds of things. No, 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 no. Come on. Have you never timed yourself? I'm let me let me just try this. I'm going to go to the door. I'm going to open it and I'm going to close it. Hang on a sec. Oh, no, not, not that kind of door. <laughs> you mean like. The big garage door? Yes, the big garage door. That's what I mean. Like, you have to actually pull the lever, open, 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 until it's why, all the way. Why is he going in and out of the garage that way? Well, what's wrong with the door that goes into the house? The, the garage is not connected to the house. This is completely outside. I'm playing outside. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, so why not just get uh, a, a little low safety fence that you would use, like, for the top of the stairs? I guess just... he never had that idea. But he, but he's a, he's a handyman. He's full of table saws. He knows how to build things, right? Sure. So but, he could just build a little thing there. He could step over it very easily. Wouldn't need to open and close the garage door. Perhaps. But this is one of the things that that you know actually occurs to me. Like you know, the at some point, 
You know, I need to learn that it's not about um, whether I can reach the thing. You know, this is the, the you know, the, like the child, the child safety issue on like little um, containers. It's like obviously, you know, the child safety it prevents you from opening the container and getting the pills. But the real issue is that you want the child to know that he shouldn't even be trying to open the container to get to the pills. Right. So you put the kill or the pills in a locked drawer. I, I don't again I don't, I don't really understand why this is so challenging. Or or you have a big um well of course power tools have safeties, right? The the, the table saws not have safety things on them, right? And you plug them into a big power bar that you turn off when you have to go somewhere so that it can't be in it and you have you put that up or out of reach of the child. Right? I mean, come on. Think think of it this way, the James. If your father were to be offered a million dollars to find a way to keep you from sawing your own head off, right? He would find a way. It's a matter of incentive, right? It's possible. Right. Because I see children everywhere, all over the place, and most of them are still head attached. And uh, there are stairs, there are forks, there are knives, there are stoves, there's boiling water. I mean, the, the, it's a death magnet. Babies and toddlers are death magnets and you work like hell to make them as safe as possible. And even then, that can be the odd accident or two. Think of Michael Buble's kid, he's a boiling thing. Now he's, he's got, some kid's got cancer, a horrible story. Anyway, but you can find a way. You can find a way. Now, if you say though, Spanking is an option. Do you know what you do? You stop trying to find a way. If you say to yourself, well, spanking is not an option, then as a parent, you find another solution. You know, we're very, very ingenious as a species. You know, we, we can get a man to the moon and back again. I'm pretty sure we can figure out how to have a child stop dismembering himself on power tools that have lots of safeties and require electricity to run. Uh, he could also, when he's got to go into the house, he could pick you up and take you uh, with him. Um, so it, it's, it's a matter of incentive. If spanking is not an option, you find another solution. If spanking is an option, you do the spanking and then you stop looking for other solutions. But you can't say, well, what if there aren't any other solutions? Because if you take the spanking, and I assume that's what your father did, right? Was it if you got close to the garage, he would spank you? Well, there's a second part of the story, which I haven't told yet. The, the, you know, he tried on like, he tried various things, but you know, he, you know, point is, okay, kid is curious, fine. So, you know, he offered the wake up call, you know, the spanking and, you know, sort of like, you know, the kind of, kind of quiet, you know, kind person in the conversation suddenly dropping an F-bomb and everyone is like, what, what just happened? Like that was the reaction. And so the next time I approached with caution, but then every time I approached the garage, he did not spank me. And but here's what he actually did: is that there's that insatiable, insatiable curiosity. I want to touch the running table saw, and so what he actually did is like you know having that trep, fear and trepidation in me. Like he told me this story. I don't actually remember this part of the story myself, but he says, "Okay, you know, are you going to listen to me?" I said, "Yes," like in fear, and so he picked me up. He brought me to the table saw and he put my hand near the blade, not close enough to, you know, get cut, but to let me feel the ridiculous power of the thing and create the correlation. Okay, that pain that I just infl inflicted on you before, this is what that would do to you. 
and all these other things. And he says that, you know, once I saw that, I suddenly got the point. And not only didn't I never challenge on him on, the, on that again, is that from that point on, and I remember this, I was I went to, to the garage and spent time around the power tools frequently and never had a problem. And if he Okay, so he didn't spank you, he just showed you how dangerous they could be. He showed me how dangerous they could be and created that correlation between the pain of spanking and the pain of um of the potential power tool, if you will. And like and it became actually a safe zone because I know where the danger is. And I think this is actually like this like where I'm actually getting at it and asking this question is less less the issue of spanking itself but that i like the philosophy of punishment for lack of better description is that you know i've never understood myself the the point of you know denying a child a meal uh for whatever things like uh, you didn't do your homework okay you're not eating supper like my mother never did anything like that to me on the other hand there is a certain sense to if you don't eat your meal you're going to be denied dessert because it creates a correlation between the food, the food and the food, which is dessert. Like, and so, well, no, that that's the argument around not getting dessert until after you've eaten your meal is because I'm not a big fan of dessert. We rarely have it, but the, the argument for that is if you eat a lot of empty calories before your meal, you won't eat the good food, right? You'll you'll be full. You'll be satiated, so on, right? I mean, you your certain amount of calories go in, and your body puts out the we're full joy right. juice, right? So, right. Um, it's 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 a matter of of staying healthy, of, of keeping the child healthy. Exactly. That's the equivalent of yes. of putting sunscreen on your child. Like if you don't, if you really don't want to wear sunscreen, and it's a blazing hot day, and the UV index is super high, if you don't want to wear sunscreen, that's perfectly fine. You just you can't go outside. Right. I mean, th- th- that's, you know, and, and, and I have done that. If I really don't feel like putting sunscreen on, I'll just sit by the window and get warm or something. Right. So um, th- that's not that's not punishment. That's consequences. Like, I mean, right. y- you have to have healthy calories. So eat your, fo- your food. Then you can have a little dessert, maybe or some fruit or something. Um, that's not a punishment. That's. We, we all do that. I should eat something healthy, not something unhealthy. I mean. You know, I, I need to put on sunscreen because I'm going outside. I mean, this is, am I punishing myself by saying I should have some peas and potatoes before, I don't know, I have a brownie? <laughs> I don't know when was the last brownie I ate. Who knows, right? But uh, I'm not punishing myself. I'm just reminding myself of what is was healthy and, and a positive thing to do. Yeah, and, it, and it's teaching a good habit because it, it, it not only, like, you know, not only is it, you know, denying the brownie for the sake of the food so you can actually get the food in you, but that the food needs to be balanced and healthy. Like you want to eat the whole meal before eating dessert. And, and like, and it's just that matter of, you know, there's sort of like this, you know, these stages of, you know, fear and looking for something for it, for the, just for your own, well-being and then loving it for what it is like different stages i um i don't know what that means in particular but when it comes to being a father if spanking was not on the table for you as a father if you were in your own father's position if spanking was not an option that you considered could you think of any other way that you could keep your child uh, safe uh, from the power tools um at that like looking back for at that time you mean no, 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 now. Like now. if you were in this situation. 
now i um yeah you could wall it off you could uh, put you know safety switches on all the buttons nevertheless at some point i'd want to teach my child that you know not just that avoid avoid all objects that are dangerous without telling them that is dangerous that i want to actually teach my child here's things that are dangerous here's things that can hurt you and and well like crossing the street for example like if you get it wrong the first time it's too late of course yeah, yeah. i mean i get it toddlers and power tools don't mix yeah. which is why you shouldn't mix them together i mean you're your father wouldn't give you a gun to play with, right? No. I mean, of course, right? I understand. But if spanking wasn't an option, could you find any way? Or is it like spanking or potential blood spraying wood chip or dismemberment? I mean, is that the only two options that we have? No. Okay. Okay. So that's all my point, right? That, that, that's my entire point. If spanking is an option, parents will tend to spank. And then... They miss out on all the other cool things they might have done, which don't involve hitting their child in order to keep their child safe. If the child is too young to reason, then hitting them is, that's how you train a dog in a cruel way. I mean, that's not a good thing to do. If they're too young to reason, then just keep them away from whatever is dangerous and then introduce things that are um, dangerous into their environment uh, slowly. You know, they can use a butter knife and then they can use a steak knife and, you know, just just natural escalation. The children don't want to get hurt. The children don't want to injure themselves and so on. And you just have to be, um, you have to be really careful. And um, that's my concern, right? So right. Uh, this is why I won't open the door to spanking at all, at all. I mean, other than the, the sort of principle that it's a violation of the non-aggression principle because it's not violence used in self-defense is that it shuts off the other solutions that might be there. And that to me is the, the, one of the biggest calamities is the parents say, well, you know, I'm going to solve this problem by spanking. It's like, well, what if you couldn't, what if that was the wrong thing to do? Are you then saying the problem could never be solved? And this is a part of a larger picture, right? Cause I say in general, government education is a bad thing. Ah, then we can't educate children. People say, it's government education or complete ignorance. These false dichotomies, you're not free if you live in a world of false dichotomies. If you live in a world of being programmed by disaster scenarios that give you only one choice, it is spanking or my child is going to be dismembered by a table saw, right? I mean, come on. I mean, then you can justify anything that way, right? Um, I have to cut off his toe. Otherwise, he's going to be dismembered. You, you could, you know... Everything up to actually dismembering the child with a table saw, you can kind of justify. If you program yourself with these absolutes, these false dichotomies, well, it's government education or no education. It's welfare or people dying in the streets. It's socialized health care or it's people dying of illness. It's um, subsidizing farmers or people starve to death. Uh, you can always give yourself these false dichotomies, these like escalating absolutes. But it doesn't give you any choice. It doesn't give you any nuance. It doesn't give you any creativity. You're just bullying yourself with these false absolutes. Now, your father probably said to himself at some point, well, spanking is the lesser of two evils. Spanking is better than my child getting dismembered by a table saw. And so he did that, right? He hit you and, and other things as well. I gave you the tour of the disaster scenario. And it's interesting to me, 
that, that's what happened. So this is the effect of spanking. One of them. One of the effects of spanking is this polarized black and white thinking. Well, I had to be spanked because if I wasn't spanked, I'd dismember myself with a table saw, right? And this is one of the challenges. Uh, this is one of the things that happens. Whereas if there's creative solutions, you sit down, you say to your kid, okay, it's really, really dangerous stuff in there. I'm terrified. Being parenting, parenting is vulnerability, right? So really, really dangerous stuff in there. I'm terrified of you getting hurt. What are we going to do? How, help me to solve this, this problem. And if your child's too young to do anything like that, just keep them away uh, from the dangerous stuff. If the child is old enough to, to begin to participate in these kinds of solutions, then have a conversation about it because then you're free to negotiate. You're free to help the child understand what the dangers are. Uh, and uh, you, of course, you still have to keep your wits about you. But uh, spanking, like all violence, um, it polarizes our thinking and it doesn't allow us to be creative and negotiation-based in our solutions. Fair enough, yet that's not the whole story here. The whole story includes the fact that he didn't repeat it. It was a one-time thing with the intention of teaching, not not like out of anger, not out of vindictiveness, not out of wrath, but the whole point like this is like here is pain. That's what this thing over here does. Like, and then he showed he actually humored my curiosity. Okay, you want to know what the table saw does? Didn't t- put my hand to it. Like, actually, this is the thing you were so curious about. I was happy with it, and everything was okay. Like, there was no repetition to it. Like, it was actually used not as not as a form of wrath, but as a teaching tool for the situation. And if it was so innocuous, James, why are you calling in decades later? This is my fundamental question. It's not innocuous. It is not innocuous to be hit by your parent, even if it's only once, even if it was for a supposed good cause and all of that. If it was genuinely innocuous, why are you calling in? It's important that you were hit. I think It doesn't so. mean your father's an evil guy. It doesn't mean he didn't have the best intentions. It doesn't mean that you should condemn him. I mean... This was the knowledge a lot of people had back in the day, and I'm not sort of trying to set you at odds with your father. But, you you know, when I sort of point out that it's important, you say, well, you know, it was only one time, it was kind of innocuous. I've got better things to do in my life, James, than spend time talking about innocuous events with people who don't care about them. If you care about it, we'll talk about it. If you don't care about it, move on to the next caller. I do care about it. because it, Okay, I, so then don't ha- tell me it was a one-time thing and it was, you know, for a good intention and it's not really that important and... Right, it is important. You were hit by your father, and there was another way he could have done it. Doesn't mean he's a terrible guy, but it does mean that he could have done something better. See, I, I don't know about that because that's that is what happened. What I do know is that I learned something valuable, and that I appreciated. You appreciated being hit. I appreciate the lesson. You no, know, let's be. Let's call it what it is. Don't don't conflate it with something else. Two and two make four is a lesson, right? How many continents in the world there are? What's the capital of Arkansas? Those are all lessons. They don't involve hitting people. You were hit by your father, and you're saying that you appreciate it. I'd rather learn about pain from someone I love than an enemy. See, here's the false dichotomy. Either my father beats me or an enemy beats me. You see how this polarized violence creates this polarization in people's minds, which strips them of free will and subtlety. I don't think of it as a polarization. Like if, 
You just gave me an example that you'd rather learn about pain from someone who loves you than an enemy. Don't you think that's a polarization? I don't think it's a polarization. I'll tell you why. It's because, you know, in the world we live in, like, let's look at the previous call. You got these people who actually go and, you know, throw a riot at a Washington gathering, uh, you know, for, for Milo. And, and the issue is, you know, suddenly, you know, people are conflated, con, uh, confronted with pain, with hurt and stuff like that. And, you know, the question, what we were talking about is the whole idea of retaliation, like in war, you know, obviously we want, like, like I can't have any argument against, you know, a world where everything is taught peacefully or done peacefully. But the issue is when you have this issue of evil, when people actually come out and cause pain, like, how do you react to that? I would not, like, you know, in war, the defender will need to kill the person attacking him. But we, I would hardly say that that killing the person is good. It may be necessary at the time, but that doesn't make it good. I would hang never on, say it's Hang good. on, James, James, I hope you will listen back to I'm sorry to interrupt. I hope that you will listen back to this. This polarization and these defenses that are being provoked are really foundational. And this is my whole issue with spanking. Now, spanking, being hit by your father was good because war and murder? Did you realize that this is what I'm talking about when I talk about escalation and polarization? Now you're justifying being hit by a father because that way you can kill people in a war? That's not what I said at all. It is kind of what you said. really is. You were talking about war and killing people. Do you not remember that? Yes, I remember that. My po- it, It's all recorded, you know. We yes, I know that. play it back. I'm not trying to get you or anything here, but you were the one bringing up war and killing people and how to do it. And right, I mean, but that's I kind of an escalation. The, the reality of the world is that things are going to come and confront us that are evil. And, you know, we need to, despite our peaceful intentions, however strong they may be, we may need to confront it. And I want to know about the fact that I need to confront it. Like I Okay, so you don't consider it an escalation to say, my father hit me, and that's good because now I can confront evil. No, but I don't, I, I didn't, if I did say that, if that's what I said, that's not, certainly not what I meant. No, then why are we talking about all this crap of war and evil and confrontation? I don't understand. I thought the whole point wasn't to train you to kill people in a war or confront evil or whatever the hell. Any of them. I thought it was to keep you safe from power tools. And then what happens is when I tell you there's many, many better ways and more moral ways to keep you safe from power tools, you slip to plan B, which is, yes, but I'll be able to strangle people in wartime. What? <laughs> you mean, you, you understand this is like this crazy talk. And this is what violence does. This is why I oppose it, because it makes people crazy when it comes to trying to defend the undefendable. Your father did not have to hit you. Your father did not have to hit you. And I'm sorry that he did. I'm not trying to say this makes him an endlessly bottomless, terrible, evil person or anything like that. But he was wrong to hit you. It's, it's a violation of the non-aggression principle. It was an immoral thing to do. I'm glad he only did it once. Fantastic. I suspect it may have been more than once given your emotional reaction, but I'll go with what you say. So he was wrong to do it. It's okay. We've all done things in our lives that were wrong. I have, you have, your father did, we'll survive. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to shift 
my commitment to the non-aggression principle. It is not self-defense to hit a child. It is not defense of the third party to hit a child because you can peacefully keep a child safe without hitting the child. Now, all this stuff that you're pulling out about wartime and confronting evil and being able to kill people or whatever, I I have no idea what any of that means. Maybe you're saying, and I've seen these arguments a lot, you know, well, these leftist snowflake social justice warriors, the problem is they weren't spanked when they were children. If they'd been spanked when they were children, none of this would be happening. Look, the wars <laughs> that we face, look, people were spanked throughout Europe for the past 50,000 years. And you know what happened? World War I and World War II and the Cold War, which was basically Europeans threatening to destroy the entire planet because of childhood. And I've got The Origins of War and Child Abuse. Uh, it's a free book at freedomainradio.com slash free, written by Lloyd DeMoss and read by me, which is well worth examining. The people who are out there, we, we talked to the first callers who were at the Milo event, the people who are out there throwing bricks and stuff like that, these people did not have happy childhoods. They did not, they were not lovingly spanked once or twice by their parents. These people had god-awful childhoods. It doesn't mean that I think they should be able to throw rocks. It doesn't mean I don't think they belong in jail. I'm just telling you the cause of what came about. This was not because, this was out of neglect. This was out of brutality. This may be out of sexual abuse. I don't know. I don't know. But these weren't people who were lovingly and peacefully raised and they turned out this way because they weren't spanked at all. Uh, My daughter, not spanked, not punished, never had a timeout, never denied her food, never taken away a toy, nothing. And she is assertive and she doesn't take crap from anyone but she's not aggressive. She doesn't initiate force. She doesn't initiate verbal abuse. She doesn't do any of that stuff. Of course not. She's not weak. She's not a snowflake. She's incredibly strong. And the idea that we're going to try and mine the scars of being hit as children and say, well, all of this wonderful stuff came out of it or all this good stuff came out of it, you don't know. And the reason you don't know, James, is you don't know what it was like to grow up not being hit. Neither do I. Neither do I. I can recreate that in my own family now, my real family, my chosen family. But you don't know how you would have been if you had been raised with negotiation, with peace, with voluntarism. If you'd been raised a little more morally. You don't know. You don't know. And you're creating all these scenarios wherein somehow it was really good for you to be hit. I understand why you're doing that, because we bond with our parents and we need our parents. And it's hard to criticize one's own parents. I understand that. I really do. But you need to understand that that's what's going on. This idea that, well, it's going to make me a good killer in wartime. I mean, come on. That's, that's (laughs) That's not how we justify things. That's consequentialism. We, we are, it's moral to beat children because it makes them psychotically efficient killing machines in wartime. You, you understand this is not, it's not an argument that's going to fly with any reasonable person, right? Well, that's not what I was saying. So, of course, I'm not, I'm going to disagree with that. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go back and listen to what you said? Because you may be a little bit surprised. Sometimes when we're being defensive, we don't know what we're saying. But go have a listen back. And if you still think that you didn't say, call back in and we'll talk about it. But right now, I'm going to move on to the next caller. Thanks very much for your call. Thank you. All right, up next we have Fontaine. Fontaine wrote in and said, 
Recently, I saw a video where Stefan was denying the existence of inalienable human rights on the basis of they can justify force or government coercion to come to fruition. This was the core problem with the conversation all the way through the talk. A quote-unquote right is defined by the founders and recognized in the Bill of Rights is that in which you can express yourself in a free market. For example, freedom of speech is an inalienable right because you don't need to use force to exploit anyone by exercising it. Same with the right to self-preservation. You don't need to exploit anyone to defend yourself in a free market. Please tell me why I and the founders are wrong in the definition of inalienable rights. That's from Fontaine. Fontaine, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. All right, great. Uh, I was worried about the audio. I have a uh, uh, a Blue Yeti mic on the way and it didn't get here in time. Yeah, it's not great, but we'll survive. We'll survive. <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, w- what is a right? Well, a right, uh, if, I, if I want to expand on what I said, a right is something in which cannot be transferred without the consent of the person who owns it. So by definition, freedom of speech, someone cannot, someone cannot force me to stop talking without using force, right? If they want to say, stop talking, I have to consent to stop talking. Otherwise, they use force, and therefore, they're breaking the non-aggressive principle. Same thing with um, the right to remain silent or the right to uh, self-preservation, which is in the Second Amendment. Um, We have the right to defend ourselves. Even if they was to take our guns away, you know, theoretically, we could still defend ourselves. They can't keep us from fighting back. It's pretty much impossible unless they lock us up. But then again, that would be forced. So there are rights that are un- unalienable that are recognized by m- many, many legal precedents, including you know, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and uh, many uh, scholars. There's some philosophical scholars. But when I was looking through the conversation, when I was listening to it, and by the way, this is the first time that I've ever been, I've ever disagreed with you. So, <laughs> so, but I was, I was, I was astounded that you, maybe it just didn't come up. I don't know, but I was astounded that you weren't recognizing these rights. It didn't, it, it the, this definition didn't come up anywhere in the, in the conversation. So maybe you just didn't get to it. But I was wanting to call in and get your clarification or maybe see if we could talk about it. Uh, whatever you see, uh, you see fit. It is your show. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. So a right is not something that exists like a tree or a rock, right? Well, it, it comes to fruition when someone speaks it. But if we're talking about uh, philosophically, no, it doesn't exist. Just like, just like philosophy doesn't exist. It, it, it's an abstract. It's not concrete. It doesn't mean we can't express our philosophy. You do it every every week, but sure. No, no. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate it. I just want to make sure that metaphysically we're starting at the same place. You don't think it's something that, you know, like some people would say, a soul exists 
and other people would say it is. And so it's not something like a soul in the body. It is um, it is a claim, right? I mean, it is something where we say, I request that the government protect my right to do X or to not do X, right? Well, see, there's that's a little bit dicey because it doesn't require the government to do anything. Now, the government might disagree and try to take it away, but the government the government can never actually take it away. So it doesn't need the consent of the government. It helps. It helps a lot. And as Oh, so the, I see. So in, in like in the Wild West, you'd have the right of self-defense even if there was no government around, right? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I, I think that what you're defining, a right to be a similar what I would define as universally preferable behavior, right? Uh, so, something which can be exercised by everyone uh, at the same time, uh, which doesn't require a win-lose scenario, which can't be magically removed from a category called uh, human beings and so on. So uh, it is a theoretical construct designed around universality. Uh, and of course, everyone can exercise freedom of speech at the same time. Everyone can exercise not exercising freedom of speech uh, at the same time. So it sounds like we're using the word uh, rights to to describe uh, moral properties or moral qualities that are universal to human beings. And it's, you know, it's nice if they're recognized, but uh, even if you don't recognize physics, it doesn't change the nature of reality. And even if you don't recognize what you would call rights and what I would call universally preferable behavior, even if you don't recognize uh, those things, it doesn't change the nature of the theoretical construct. Is that a reasonable way to put it? That is very reasonable. The only thing that I would add is, in universal, uh, universally prefer, uh, preferable behavior, um, you know that that's kind of like okay, who 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 prefers this and who prefers that, you know? Uh, and when we're talking about in the construct of you know manifestation, you know, it's, it's something that can't be manifested, but it has it even though it's a it's an abstract idea like universal uh, universally pre uh, preferable behavior. I'm having a hard time saying that for some reason. <laughs> Uh, it has contributed to our society in a, in a concrete way. When the founders first got together and they came up with the Novus Ordo Seclorum, which was their, their experiment, you know, for a new type of country, they, they wrote these things down in, in a way to where the government can, well, theoretically, can, the government can never take them away, even though, like I like I just explained, they can't really ever take them away, but they want them to. They want to prop them up as as principles for this for this for this country. And if we had gone the way of John Adams, right? Because it was it was an experiment. Things were changing. Um, if we'd gone the way of John Adams, who wanted to uh, punish dissent, and not the way of Thomas uh, Jefferson, it would have been a completely different country. But we, we, we inevitably went the way of Thomas Jefferson and held that up as a principle to where uh, you cannot hurt me if I don't hurt you. I can say what I want as long as I'm not as long as I'm not uh, uh, speaking speech that incites violence as in um, open slandering people, because that's not technically free speech. So. <clears throat> With those ideas, we were able to, in, in a free market, we were able to make, you know, 
tremendous strides because we were openly talking about things as if, but if we went the other way, those, those inventions that we, 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 you know, the, the industrial revolution, things like that, we might not even came up with those if not for the right of free speech. And, and just like when you said on your, uh, your first caller, you know, it all hinges on that. You called it, I think you called it a pr- uh, principle there, or uh, I forgot what you called it, but it all hinges on that freedom of speech and the non-aggression principle. So even though it is an abstract, it does help manifest concrete things. You see what, you see what I'm saying? Okay, but let, let's. So, would you say that property, the right to property, is foundational? Well, the right to property comes from. Well, well, the First Amendment comes from the right of property. Do you own yourself? Right. If you have a a, a voluntary exchange with somebody uh, for their property, say I'm going to give them twelve goats for this parcel of land, then I now own that because they got it. They got it lawfully in a free market. Now. If I own that, like I own my body, then this, of course, now, just to say, this isn't how it is today, but I'm a, I, that is my domain. So that's my property right. I have the right to say... No, no, I, I don't want to get into a whole description of the, the origins of property rights, but oh, no. you would, of course, assume that, that property... But, but here's the challenge, right? So the, the government exists because it is willing to violate property rights because it will take taxes from you against your will. Right, so if if you're going to have property rights, then saying, well, there's a bill of rights and the government guarantees your rights. I know that we've said that it exists outside of that, but you brought up that stuff a lot, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, and so on. But the government is that social agency that can violate your rights pretty much at will. And that, of course, is the challenge with rights, right? So most people, when you say rights, and I sort of, you, you talk about universal uh, constructs of, of preferred behavior, letting people have free speech and respecting property, personhood, and so on. The problem is most people think that a right is a claim enforced by the government. The right That a right is a claim enforced by the government. And th- that's what the word means now. It's been co-opted by the United Nations. It's been co-opted by governments. It's been co-opted by you name it, right? A right is a claim enforced by the government. I have a right to health care. Well, I have a claim that is enforced by the government. The government go and force people to give me health health care or force people to pay for those who are going to give me health care. So this is when I say I don't accept rights. It's not like I don't accept morality. It's not like I don't accept the non-aggression principle. I've worked very hard to come up with a theoretical construct around all of that. It's just that, let me sort of tell you what I mean in sort of a very brief story. So um, I spent some time, as I mentioned actually on a video today, the National Theatre School. And I was uh, working on a play. And in it, I used the word gremlins. And my writing teacher, and i never forget this, my writing teacher said, that word is owned by, I don't know who made Spielberg or whoever made the film Gremlins, it's a movie. I said, I don't know, I've never seen that movie, but gremlins actually means hamana, hamana, hamana. And I went sort of back into the etymology of the word gremlins. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. The word is now owned by the guy who made the movie gremlins. That's what the word means now, because that's what everyone thinks of when that word comes up. And I said, so what, I'm just, I'm not allowed to use the word gremlins? He's like, nope. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're really not allowed because you don't own it. It's not yours. It's not you. You can't you can't just go back and rescue it unless you make a bigger film than Gremlins that strikes people. And, you know, you won't because people will always. Right. So and I have thought about this with other terms that I've used uh, in this. And this is why the invention of new terms is really important. It's not all new speak. It's not all corruption. The invention of new terms is really important. Because when words are owned by other people and the word rights has not been owned by the right for probably at least 100 years since the progressives really got their teeth in in the early 20th century, that the right means a claim of something I want that is enforced by the government. Look at the word anarchy. You know, I mean, I've written books on anarchy. And um, this was, you know, 10 years ago, uh, eight, eight or nine years ago. Great books. I stand by them, you know, until they're proven otherwise. Uh, you know, this is what you, what you live with. This is what you have. But what does anarchy now mean? It now means violent, insane leftists who break things and throw rocks at people. And so, oh dear, I'm wearing black too in the video, <laughs> right? So um, you, you can say, well, this is what uh, my rights are. Uh, this is what rights mean. This is, but you don't own the word. It's like gremlins. The, the word has been taken over by the left, and trying to rescue it, uh, it's it's way too too far gone, in my opinion. Uh, and this is why I think when I talk about let's not open up the question of rights, because when you say rights, people are like, ah, things I want enforced by the government, <laughs> claims enforced by the government. You want property rights. I want free health care. We both have rights. And it's like, how do you untangle all of that? How do you untangle? It's tough enough doing math in your head. It's kind of impossible doing math in your head with other people yelling random numbers into your ear, at least for the most people. So it's not that you and I disagree that there's objective morality, that there are what I call universally preferable behavior. That doesn't mean what people prefer, but what they should prefer. But the word right, yeah, I got a right. You've got no right to talk to me like that. You've got no right to congregate like that. You've got no right to deny me my education. (laughs) The word has become so co-opted by the left. You know, we've just, you have to abandon it. You have to just abandon it and get someplace new. And this is why I think the challenge of rights is is significant. So I think that you and I agree on everything except the language. But uh, I do, th- I'm just making the case. I'm just saying you can't use the word rights or anything. I'm just making a case. When people, when I talk about universally preferable behavior, we have a conversation about something new. When you have a conversation about rights, you kind of have to undo everything that people have been told for the last hundred years or more which has destroyed, of course, the, the Bill of Rights was supposed to be universal. And the idea that there'd be a right to health care, well, I guess it took it took ladies getting the vote to bring that one to the forefront. But um, uh, th- that's sort of, I think, where our disagreement may exist. Um, see, this, I, okay, I, and I completely agree with you. The only problem that I have, and I would refer back to a conversation you had with a crazy young man who was talking to you about psychotropic drugs. <laughs> And uh, yeah. and he was talking about, well, I make up my own definitions of things and my own realities. That, and then he told him to give me an example. And he said, oh, well, bad, bad now means good, man, you know. And then you said to him, and I thought this was brilliant, you know, you, you can say that this word, which represents something objective, means something else now. But that's not philosophy and that's not truth. And I thought that was just brilliant. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but and, he was individually making up those words. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the generally perceived definition of rights by just about everyone in the West. Everyone, just about everyone in the West is something I is like something people should get through the government. That's what a right is. Well, now, we can say that's the wrong definition. We've got to rewind 100 years. That just seems like a lot of work to me. Uh, I'd rather build a new house and dig out an old one and start rebuilding from there. So I agree with you. People can't just make up. But this is the modern general conception of, of rights. I mean, declaration, look at the Declaration of Human Rights from the UN, for the UN, and it's all about stuff that people want that the government has to enforce them receiving. Well, we, you know, don't, we have to use the original you know, First Amendment right. Uh, and this is what I'm trying to do, you know, not, not trying to convince you. I was always under the notion that you would probably agree with me. But the reason health care isn't a right you know, a right as in free is because it it, it, it requires you exploiting somebody. It, re, it requires you exploiting the taxpayer. It requires you exploiting the health, uh, medical provider, uh, the insurance company, whatever. It, you, it, there's no, the whole point of a right is that you don't exploit anybody by using it. And if we can have this conversation with people, I know that there's there's far left retards who are, who won't listen to this no matter what you say to them. But what I'm saying, if we talk to the reasonable people and say, you know, no, 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 you need to understand that the you can say that I want, you know, I want this. I wish it was more uh, uh, affordable. Uh, I, 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 you could even say, hey, I wish it was free, but you can't say it's a right because that's that's not that's not the definition of a right. Now, um, dude, were you about to say something? No, go ahead. Um, now, in the thing of property rights, and you're saying, and and uh, the whole point of uh, so, because if you own this land now, because it's been voluntarily, you know, peacefully given, you know, traded to you, the government, you know through ta- property taxes, is using force. And like you've talked about thousands of times you know, on your show, they're using force. Now, if they were to come in and seize your land, that's even more force. So, yeah, they're, vol- they're violating your rights. And, you know, that, that's objectively observable. That that's what they're doing. So I, I was just trying to get, get across the idea that, you know, you don't like the word right, and I respect that. that that's perfectly reasonable. Um, but there is something that I'm talking about, whether what word you want to put on it or not. But that 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 is kind of a that it, it it's objective and it manifests. You see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I I agree. I I think I don't want to sort of continue uh, yeah. to to beat around where we certainly exist. It's not a new argument for me. Like I made this oh, yeah. argument a decade ago in my introduction to philosophy zeros about about rights and so on so if you look and if you want to continue to use the word rights that's your right <laughs> right of course right <laughs> it's just that you you just be aware that you have a lot of disassembling to do uh, and um uh, i try not to use a word that has been so co-opted by the enemy for so long because i just find it's really really tough it's like it's like trying to uh just like trying to pull a train off a track you know i'd rather just have a, a dirt bike or whatever. So thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. I'm going to move on to the next caller, but uh, I do enjoy these conversations. And I, I think I'm, I'm certain that we agree about everything that's important. And um, it's more of a, a strategy uh, of uh, better uh, or more effective uh, debating than it is any disagreement on substantials. Can I say just one more thing and I'll let you, I'll let you go. Sure. 
I just want to say that uh, I've always been kind of like a, you know, a, a bookworm and a history buff, but I honestly can say this, that I don't think I've ever uh, had my thinking transformed as much it was when I started listening to you, just the way that you, uh, I've never, there's nobody like you out there. So keep doing what you're doing. And it's helped me tremendously and makes uh, pretty much any kind of debate much more easy. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate that. And I, I agree. There's, there's no one like me out there. And uh, that's what's <laughs> so, so delightful about it all. So thanks very much. I really appreciate your call. And I hope we can talk again. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Up next, we have Ryan. Ryan wrote in and said, I've always held the belief that morality is primarily objective without differing much from person to person. This belief has carried me so far in my brief adult life, but it seemed sound up until recently. The kidnapping and torturing of the mentally disabled boy in Chicago made me very concerned about the influence and interpretation of morality on each person. My question is, is morality objective, and if not, what kind of outside factors are powerful enough to change one's moral compass to where kidnapping slash torturing is okay or the acceptance of this as just kids being kids is okay. That's from Ryan. Hi. No, hey, Ryan. How you doing? Hi. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. That story hit you pretty hard, right? Yeah, it did. It was. I, I thought it was absolutely devastating. Even before I saw the video, I thought it was ridiculous just the way people described it. I, at first, I didn't even think. I thought it might have been just some kind of exaggeration of the events that happened, that had happened. But then I watched the video and saw what happened. It was absolutely disgusting. I could barely barely watched it what um what was occurring for you emotionally while you were watching it um mainly what was occurring for me emotionally was the concern for how how we're going to continue almost as a country because we have that whole and you've talked about it before in uh, previous shows and whatnot we have the what was sold as a multicultural society and came came around century ago but we we have that now and what's concerning for me is I did hold the belief that uh, morality is fairly is fairly objective as long as it's like within the same culture. Um, but if we do have such differences within microcultures within our country, could this keep happening? That, that's that's all I was really concerned about emotionally was could this keep happening because of the state our country is in right now, especially after this election cycle and how split up we are. Well. Yeah, of course. Of, of course, it, it will keep happening. Um, most people are susceptible to outside influences. I mean, that's just the basic reality of the human mind. We, we're impressionable. You know, what, what language do you end up speaking? By golly, it's the language you were raised with, right? I mean, you, even if your parents have a very thick foreign accent, you will generally end up speaking like your peers, not like your parents. So we, we're very susceptible. And... When there are groups that are failing in society, then there are two types of people, well, I guess three types of people who, who have a look at failing communities in societies. Number one, they don't care. They don't talk about it. They don't care. So fine, take them off the map. Number two, there are people who say, okay, here's the facts that we know. 
right? There's this, there's that, there's the other. Some things are within your control, some things are not within your control. Let's focus on the things that are within your control. Let's make sure that we have the incentives aligned in the right way so that what is good for you in the moment is also good for your community and good for you all in the long run. And let's teach you how to be better parents and let's like do what we can with the limitations that we have and the knowledge that we have to make your community better. And those people used to be a lot more common uh, and they're well, they're not quite as common anymore. Now, the third category uh, is, is a group that we all, we all know very, very well. What they do is they say, oh, wow, you see the reason you're not doing well, my friends, is because there are these evil people over there and they're in charge and they've been running things and they're exploiting you and they're stealing from you and they shoot your children and they gun you down like dogs and they hunt you and they jeer and they laugh and they're grinding you under their heel and they love it. Those are the people who are grinding you down and keeping you down. And you're going to have to fight them because they hate you. And they'll forever try and keep you down. And they'd be keeping you down for hundreds of years or thousands of years. And they goad and they provoke. And there are people in the not doing well communities who reject that and say, hey, 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 you know, don't, don't be pouring your Iago poison into my ear, my friend. Don't pull a Hamlet's uncle with his father at the poison in the ear. I don't want to hear that stuff. I want to know what is practical, what is sensible, what is factual, what I can do. But then there are other people who usually, I think, for various traumatic childhood reasons say, yeah, yeah, those people, they're the entire reason we're doing badly. It's them. And it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they do. We'll hate them. They hate us. It's war. And um, I don't know when we recognize just how evil this third group of people are, how harmful, how toxic this alliance between the division whisperers and the people hungry to blame others because they've done badly or underachieved relative to their own potential. Incredibly destructive people. And we need to push back with the facts. Now, there's a giant market in dysfunctional communities. There's a giant market for blame others. Blame others. It's a lot easier to get angry than it is to grow up. It's a lot easier to attack than it is to build. It's a lot easier to break than it is to grow. So this is the war. And the war is between those who are bringing facts to dysfunctional communities and between those who are bringing excuses to dysfunctional communities. Um, Hillary Clinton bought excuses and she's not alone in that. There's lots of people who bring these excuses to black communities, to Hispanic communities, to dysfunctional or under-functioning communities. They bring excuses, and they are cheered by some portion within those communities. And there are other people like me and many other people and many more prominent people who bring facts. Who bring facts. And with facts, you get two things. Two things. With facts, you get two things but they don't occur at the same time, which is why it's so tough. With facts, you get pain and you get hope. 
but you get pain first. And then you get hope later, you know, like Pandora's box, she opens the box and all these demons fly out and at the bottom is a tiny fairy called hope. With facts, you get pain and you get hope. But the longer you've lived in lies, the worse the pain is and the more impossible the hope seems. And I want to bring facts to communities that aren't doing well. And I want to say, yes, there's race and IQ. We'll figure that out as we go along. But that's not what we can focus on right now. We need to focus on right now in the black community in particular is rebuilding the family. We know that can be done because it's been done before. As I've mentioned on the show many times, blacks, uh, black families were more stable than white families as recently as uh, 80, 90 years ago. Blacks raced into the middle class after the Second World War. Remember, even if the race and IQ statistics are ironclad, can't be changed, whatever, right? 20% of blacks are smarter than the average white. There's so many who could do well, really well, and they could help their communities through doing that well. And I'm not talking like affirmative action well or like this young black man who called in saying, well, I want to become a doctor, but everybody wants me to get into politics, basically to get money from my community, from the state. And I'm talking like mentoring well, like helping people well. Right. Crime, drug addiction, child abuse. The, the, the coolness of criminality, that the single motherhood, a huge single motherhood plus child abuse plus warrior gene, boom, right there is producing so much harm in the black community. Now, these are facts as far as they can be ascertained. Are they ironclad? Are they proven beyond a shadow of a doubt? Well, they're, <laughs> they're more real than endless white racism being the explanation for everything, right? So I desperately want this community to do better. And the only thing that I know to how to, the only thing I know to do as a philosopher, as a caring person, is to tell people the truth. The greatest act of racism is to withhold the truth from groups, because you can't handle the truth. What you? I think I think the black community can handle the truth. Maybe some, maybe not, but I think the black community can handle the truth. And there is a lot that can be done to improve things. And this is why you know when I fought against the welfare state my whole adult life, and partly it's out of just seeing what it's done to poor communities. I mean, I grew up in a multicultural neighborhood, and I saw the effects of the welfare state on, on every race and group that, that could be conceived of. I, mean, I, I know, I've seen it, I, I lived it, I grew up in it. It's horrifying what it's done. So in this battle between those who want to bring solutions and those who want to bring excuses, but those who want to give you self-ownership and those who want to hijack your willpower to serve their own political needs, their own political agendas, to get your vote. One group is going to win. The group who don't care either way, they're not part of the equation. The group who bring facts and the group who bring resentment, we're fighting. We're fighting over the future of these communities. And I'm not just talking about blacks. I'm talking about like the everyone who hits their kids, who abuses their kids, who abandons their kids, who dumps their kids in daycare, who neglects their children. And I'm talking about 
all of these people. There is this war between the fact bringers and the excuse givers. Right now, the excuse givers have been kicking the fact givers ass for (laughs) decades, but I think that's beginning to turn around. And morality is objective and it is universal. But what can change, as you say, what factors can change one's moral compass to where kidnapping and torturing is okay? Well, if you tell people that the only reason they're poor, that the only reason they don't have a father, that the only reason there's not a lot of wealth in their community, that the only reason their neighborhoods are so crappy, that the only reason their education and their schools are so crappy, that the only reason there's drugs, the only reason there's criminality in their community, the only reason there's graffiti, there's only reason there's cars up on blocks within 12 minutes being parked somewhere. The only reason for all of this horror is this particular evil group of people who have exploited and preyed upon and enslaved and raped and murdered your people for hundreds and hundreds of years. You keep hearing that, you keep repeating that, you keep hearing that, you keep repeating that. Well, everyone cries when the hero dies. But if you tell a group of people that they're only wretched because of this endless rows of appropriately white stormtroopers, how many stormtroopers do you see dying in Star Wars movies? Do you care? Huh. You don't, because they're oppressors, they're evil. It's like the Nazis. Or, you know, the new villain, the Russians. They've been coordinating this one with Hollywood, I'm sure, for a while. But um, the dehumanization, this particular group, and we talked about this with the first callers. Well, you know, racists, you're Nazis, you're... Right? You should see the comments when I do stuff on race. The comments of... I mean, on both sides. I mean, it's not just black-white things, others as well. Comments are pretty ferocious. And... Racism flies both ways. But we can only meet and resolve these issues or these differences in reality, in reality, in reality, with facts. When we abandon facts, we get violence. When we abandon reason, we get violence. When we abandon the argument, we get violence. And everyone is certain, well, so many people are certain now what the problem is, evil whitey, and what the solution is. No justice, no peace, right? Lauren Southern was interviewing... um, in the midst of this mayhem that was occurring, Trump's inauguration. And some guy, I think it was a black guy, turned around and said, well, Malcolm X said, an unjust law is no law at all. Okay, well. What does that mean to have an unjust law? Would, would he be able to answer that question? What is the category called unjust? What, is it, what does it mean? Is affirmative action an unjust law? is giving preferential test results, uh, upping the scores of blacks in entrance to university. Is that unjust? Is stripping down Asians? Is that unjust? Is the fact that blacks attack whites proportionally far more than whites attack blacks, is that unjust? I mean, it's just a phrase. It just means I don't have to obey the rules because I've got this magic sticker called unjust and 
Malcolm X, and I can combine these two in this magical alchemy that breaks me free of the rules. I can do, I can smash up Starbucks because Malcolm X said unjust laws are no laws at all. If you have this kind of, it's not thinking, it's an excuse. I don't have to obey the rules because Malcolm X said unjust laws are no, 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 no laws at all. All right. Where do we go from here? I'll leave that uh, to you. Thanks for letting me speechify. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you that it, there's that big combination of um, poor parenting, just all that within the street warrior mentality and all comes together and uh, and I and creating this enemy out of the people who took everything and all, all that what you were saying. I, I get that they turn uh, they turn them into the bad guys, the stormtroopers. It's it's just what uh, what gets me is sure I can get if they were doing that out of resent, but they were enjoying it in that video. That was the part that really disturbed me. And I I guess I guess you're just right in the fact that they you say it so much that eventually it's ground into your head that it's a, it's it's a great it's a delightful thing that you take out the enemy almost. I guess is where 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 we're going with that now. Well, look at uh, Tarantino movies. I mean, the, the big giant sadistic fest of Tarantino movies. I mean, think of In- Inglorious Bastards. I mean, they, they physically tortured this guy. Well, he's, he's a Nazi, you see. So you can just, you can just do it, right? I mean, if, if the people, and we've been programmed a lot this way, uh, and the media does this a lot, the, um, the movies in particular, but it also happens with, uh, with um, television shows that, um, you know, so-and-so is just, it's, it's so evil that, you know, you cheer when they're not just killed, but, you know, tortured or whatever it is, right? And, and there are people who are so evil that, you know, what, what could one do? Not cheer, but um, relief, you know, if they're not part of the human conversation as much anymore. And that programming... I remember thinking about the Boys in the Hood was a movie from some some years back, quite a few years now, where these um, kids were replaying the video. I think they'd attacked some store owner or whatever, just re- laughing about it and so on. I think of Fargo. Um, and if you don't develop empathy as a child, you don't get it later. You, like if you don't get enough food when you're a kid, you grow up shorter. Having more food later just makes you fatter. doesn't make you taller, right? You, you can't retrofit empathy, which is why the sort of early childhood stuff is so important. And I think of Philando Castile and his girlfriend. There was that video of them smoking joints in the car. The car is like this cube of marijuana smoke and there was this kid strapped to this little girl strapped into the back seat looking at the camera like so much stress so much worry so much anxiety so much fear poor kid i mean what's she gonna grow up what's it gonna be like for her when she grows up with this kind of example in the front seat this lack of leadership, this lack of love, care, concern, attachment, connection. It's basically just 
blowing marijuana smoke and toxic adulthood into this kid's brain and lungs. It's horrible. And this is why, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if different races get along or not. I don't know. I, th- I think some, I think IQs generally get along more or less, but there's other differences as well. But I don't know. The data is not great. The data, the basic facts are not great with regards to diversity. But I do know this, that we're much more likely to get along if we're peacefully parented, if we're peacefully raised. And I view some of the toxic ideology being poured into various communities to be a form of child abuse. I saw something on Twitter. Is it just tonight? I don't know where it was from. I mean, I know who posted it, but... And it's this demented teacher who's got, like, she's, she's got a projection of Donald Trump on the whiteboard, like some LCD projector or something. And she's screaming at Donald Trump and she's firing a water pistol at him in front of her class. In front of her class. Lady, be mental on your own time. This is not your job. (laughs) Your job is to teach them how to think, not watch your demented nonsense with regards to Donald Trump. So... We can only put better information out on the internet as positively and courageously as possible and hope like hell that people pick up on it. At least that's, that's my plan. I'd say that does as, as where we stand right now, that does sound like a solid plan as any. So good. Does that help at all? That does. I really appreciate the uh, comment about um, you got to build up the empathy as a kid or else it just doesn't come later. Cause that, really does make a lot of sense with how a lot of well that society is right now with all the poor parenting and everything so i do think that makes a lot of sense or a place where uh we as a people can start to try and fix that good good okay well thanks very much for your question uh, i really really appreciate it uh, it was a great uh, a great question and uh, feel free to call back anytime all right thank you very much thank you okay up next we have michael michael wrote in and said I find that many of your beliefs are in line with biblical truths, i.e. marriage, gender roles, rationality, social injustice, etc. You even accept that religion gives people a sense of purpose and are sympathetic to Christians. Why are you not a believer in Christ yourself? That's from Michael. Hey, Michael. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. How are you? I'm well. It's a, it's a great question. I really, really appreciate you uh, bringing that up. I'm going to guess that you're on the J team. Yes. Okay, yes, just right. uh, just checking here. <laughs> that's that's the Jesus team. Uh, I know other people talk about that differently on the internet, but anyway, um, did you want to add more to the to the question or or to the comments? Oh well, I I just find it curious because I know in your older videos you're really against Christianity and you're you're an atheist then, but then as time went on, you sort of became more sympathetic and. The way you talk about Jeff Sessions and and Mike Pence is really, it seems like you really understand that they want what's best for the United States. And I just find it interesting that you're, you also like interview Vox Day and uh, Lord Moncton, and they're Christians, and you agree with them on a lot of things. So I wonder why you don't agree on this on this one thing. 
<laughs> this one thing like it's an asterisk or something. It's it's kind of the whole thing <laughs> in many ways, right? And there's Jordan Peterson, right? I mean, who does oh, yes. uh, some brave work standing up to political correctness. And uh, he's um, informed by religiosity. And um, so why I, why am I not a believer in Christ myself? Is that That's basically what you want to know. Sure. And if you want, we can talk about what's in the Bible, too, because I, I love studying the Bible. And I find that you haven't... You haven't mentioned a lot of things that I'd like to talk about if we if we could. We could, we could, but let me just give you the lowdown as to your sort of first or, or central and basic question. Sure. My beliefs aren't up to me. Now, my subjective personal preferences, they're up to me. I, you know, I mean, to some degree, right? I mean, the foods I like have something to do with my palate and my history and all that, but the movies I watched, that's my choice. The music I listen to, that's my choice. The exercise I do, that's my choice. When I work, when I don't work, to some degree, that's my choice. So there are some things that I can choose, and that's where my free will exists. My free will does not extend to metaphysical matters. My free will does not extend to objective truth statements. I can't will truth. I have to passively explore and examine and continue the process of using reason and evidence to approach and hopefully capture the truth, the truth. So it's not up to me. So you say, well, why aren't you a believer in Christ yourself? It's not up to me. It's not my choice. I can't will it. If, if I could will it, I would not be a philosopher. The whole philosopher gig is to humble yourself before reason and evidence. And it's not up to me what I believe in as an objective fact. That is up to philosophy. That's up to reason and evidence. So I don't have that option to say, I want to believe. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when it would be absolutely lovely to believe. This is how I was raised. I was raised uh, in uh, the bosom of the Protestant church in England. And uh, my mother are not so religious, but um, aunts and uncles, yes, we went to church uh, when I was in boarding school. Church a couple of times a week. I was in the choir. Um, and I had my own Bible with nice little color plates, <laughs> not very child appropriate pictures, but anyway. Um, so yes, I mean, this is the rock upon which my conceptions were built as a child. So there is a, a, a wonderful, I, I don't want to say seductive because that sounds somewhat sinister, but there's a wonderful uh, pull for me towards religiosity, um, it would be like going home again in some ways. And I'm perfectly frank about all of that. And I have, over the years, grown to admire Christians in many ways more than atheists. And uh, <laughs> Trump certainly helped push that little fella along because if I had to rely on atheists to help get Trump into office, well, let's just say um, there'd be a giant pantsuit standing on the neck of, of Breitbart right now and other of my uh, friends and companions, uh, it was the Christians who made that happen. And Christians have been annoyingly positive and friendly towards me, and it's kind of hard to <laughs> continue to be annoyed with a group. Uh, atheists, on the other hand, not quite so much. And I have found Christians in my conversations to be more positive, more energetic, more cultured, more accepting of what matters to me. The atheists, you know, and I've talked about this in many 
shows why atheism sucks and why atheists suck and so on. I mean, there are a bunch of state-sucking nihilistic toadies to a large degree. Not all. Not all atheists are like that, but uh, enough that it's kind of a pattern. Yes, there were some pretty women in the march too, but, you know, we go with the odds. So um, the Christians I admire, and I admire in, in many ways. I admire the Christians because we get to the same place, limited government, free will, moral responsibility, objective ethics. That's the stuff that matters to me. Other people come to that by different roads, roads that don't follow philosophical rigor. But I would rather have people who hold those beliefs for the wrong reasons than the nihilism and socialism and leftism of the skeptical community and the science worship as well. I mean, science, you know, I've had lots of people come, science is just a new religion and so on. And I've got a podcast, I don't know whether it was ever published or not, (laughs) Mike could tell me, uh, called Scientism, uh, which is uh, how people do view not science as a methodology, but modern government science as institutions that uh, have questionable motives for what it is that they proselytize and what it is that they talk about and global warming and a bunch of other stuff as well. Right, because they start with the conclusion and then try to find facts to prove it. Rather than well, they start with the money. <laughs> they, start with, they start with what's going to get yes, me the money. The money. And, you know, the scientists are humans. They respond to incentive just like, just like everyone else. Um, you know, I, I, you know, people, it's funny, you know, because people will say, uh, ah, yes. Um, yes. If you give, if you give women welfare, they'll just have children because they get more money. And it's like, well, okay, we can accept not all, but yeah, we can accept that corrupts things a, a lot of, a lot of times. Um, but, but if you say, well, if, if government, if, if governments paid scientists for particular conclusions, they're magically going to get a lot of those conclusions. It's like, no, that's totally different. It's like, no, it's, it's really not. It's human beings responding to incentives. So the beauty of free will, objective ethics, limited government, uh, and so on, is nestled deep in the heart of Christ and his followers. And I, you know, I said, I, I said, I gave myself a blood oath. I pinky swore myself, included my toes. At the beginning of all of this, I said, what's going to make what I do different? And what's going to make what I do different is I'm not going to stop. There is going to be no place where I say, well, this new evidence, to hell with it. It doesn't go with my preconceptions. And from where I started with Christianity to where I am with Christianity is the result of significant evidence. Who is fighting the left? It's not the atheists. The Christians are fighting the left. What is the great danger to everything I value and hold dear? The left. And a lot of what and it, they it's are not, it's not, sorry to interrupt. It's not as simple as the enemy of my enemy is my friend and I'll lie. I think, no, it's not. It, it's genuine affection and respect. Who is fighting political correctness? Who is fighting cre- creeping Islamization? It's not the atheists. It's not the feminists. It's not the secularists. It's the Christians. It's the Christians. And that's inescapable to me. It's inescapable to me. And so fellow travelers, absolutely. Do we share a massive amount of ethics and politics 
that I did not suspect before? See, remember, it's not, it's not like you would know this, and I, I'll be done in a sec, so thanks for your patience. But when I grew up, um, I came to atheism to some degree through objectivism. So all the atheists I met, small government people, <laughs> it kind of skewed my whole perception of the atheist community, all these small government people. That, I mean, I only knew really the, the atheist objectivists. And when I got older, of course, I met the socialist atheists, the Marxist atheists, the nihilist atheists, the secular atheists, and so on. But atheism for me meant small government uh, and, and a skepticism of uh, all concepts, whether it was God or government, as existing. Metaphysically, provable epistemologically. So for me, atheism and small government joined at the hip. There were like two sides of the same coin. Same methodology gets you to both places. It wasn't until I got into this show and doing this kind of public conversation that I had more and more conversations with atheists. And I began to say, oh, maybe my initial sample size was not exactly representative of the entire atheist community (laughs) because there seemed to be a lot of crazy lefties out here. And, um, and, And also just not not courageous, not courageous. Um, and, and, you know, I respect the fact that, of course, Christians nurturing their soul to the afterlife, there are more important things than what's happening right now, right? And then, you know, as, as the evidence began to accumulate that my initial view of atheists may not be extendable to new <laughs> atheists, um, I, you know, I was reading, um, I mean, you know, my, my Dennett, my Dawkins, my Hitchens and so on. And the fact that Hitchens was, uh, supported the Iraq war ex Marxist and so on. And the fact that, uh, Richard Dawkins doesn't seem to have any problem with big government as long as it pays his exorbitant <laughs> philosopher king scientist salary. Um, it just, you know, seemed to be a problem. And, uh, and of course, from objectivism, I moved to libertarianism, where there are some atheists, but again, they're atheists who are small government. But as I began to move beyond the objectivist libertarian world into more and more atheist groups, as I sort of met through the show, I'm like, ooh, that's a, ooh maybe that was an outlier. And uh, you know what? I better just get the facts. And then I looked up the data, and I examined the data, and I read the surveys, and I read the studies, and I talked to the experts, and I'm like, oh, damn, I think we found us a lefty enclave. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and so... Um, that was sort of my particular uh, journey. And uh, in in siding with just the atheists and, and the atheism that, that I had um, against the Christians, which I continue to apologize for and will until I draw my last breath and find out for sure what's going on. <laughs> but um, uh, I thought that I was siding with reason and evidence and philosophy against superstition but the state is by far the most dangerous superstition, far more dangerous than anything Christians have conceived of in thousands of years. And um, that's where the real danger lay is in the leftist, nihilistic, left, atheist community. That to me is where the grave, grave danger is. And they're just not able to wake up and do what is necessary to save the West. And saving the West is the key. And um, what I share with the Christians is far more in these times of great peril, you know, before when I first started the show, I, I thought, you know, okay, well, we, we've got some work to do, but 
by golly, we've got all the time in the world, so we'll do multi-generational change, peaceful parenting, and so on. And then massive immigration, demographics, a demographic winter. We can't possibly continue. It's much shorter than we think. Right. Um, that changes. That changes things. And everybody who goes through that, if you haven't watched the demographic winter stuff, you just need to check out birth rates and do some basic math. You can do it for yourself. It's not not long to go. <laughs> so, um, and the idea, and, and it also it didn't have any luck appealing to atheists with reason and evidence kind of kind of funny <laughs> when you think about it kind of funny and yet kind of not that um if you wanted to take down the west implanting lefty atheism is a wonderful way to do it and these are just the facts so i'm not going to argue with something that's been that beneficial again philosophically speaking you know you and i would diverge on metaphysics and particularly study of knowledge epistemology but Given how much we have in common when it comes to free will, universal ethics, personal responsibility, and the goal of speaking truth to power to make the world a better place, um, I can't view us as anything but companions uh, in this road and this goal and in these what could very well be the end times of Western civilization and what will be unless we act. So, um, you know, I hope I've answered the question about why it's not up to me, you know, if if he manifests I have to take that as, as evidence until he does. Um, uh, I have to go with the objective reason and evidence. There's so many things I'd love to believe. I just can't will it. That's not the methodology. And if I do take that methodology and throw it aside, this is not the show anymore. This is not the same show. But thank you very much for the call. Uh, let's move on to the next caller. Thanks, man. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Okay. Up next, we have Jeffrey. Jeffrey wrote in and said, I am a relatively new listener, and over the last couple of months, I've heard you make what sound like disparaging remarks about stepping into a relationship with a woman who already has children or raising another man's children. However, I also never heard you say never to do that, since you often ask people, why didn't you call me sooner? I'm asking now, as I'm about to go on my first date with a woman who has two children, aged one and three. She's 32, and divorced her husband after he cheated on her. That's from Jeffrey. And how old are you? 36. 36, all right. How did you meet this woman? Let's call her Sally. How did you meet Sally? Uh, online, although I, <laughs> apparently she's not interested in a date too, so that part's kind of moot. Oh, you went on the date? Yeah, that was last night. And she doesn't want to go on a second date? No. Wow, do you know why? She said she didn't think that we had that much in common, and I was like, okay. Um, the only thing that we talked about that we disagreed on, really, that I, that during the conversation was, uh, she talked about how she hates public speaking, and I said I love it. And uh, everything else, it was great conversation very relaxed and enjoyable but whatever i'm not gonna you know if it's not if it's uh, if she's not interested she's not interested right did you talk politics at all yep and how did that go great how so um well we're both pretty much agreed on everything wow. um and before we met i mean she was a lot more enthusiastic than i was before we met you know, she was the first one that messaged me, and uh, uh, and she asked me to, to if we want if uh, we wanted to get together, and uh, but I don't know. Well, when um, did you do you know much about her history? When did she get divorced? She's Years got a one year old. I assume it wasn't that too long ago, right? She was 
she had just found out she was pregnant with her second child when he cheated on her the second time and she kicked him out. And then, so she was only a few weeks pregnant. So is she divorced yet or yeah, in yep, the process? She's fully of... divorced. She's fully okay. divorced. It was two years ago. So uh, well, two years ago, two years ago, hang on, I'm, ago, I'm working on the math out. here. Yeah. She's got a, a one year old child, right? Yeah. So maybe a little shy of two years. Because she was only ten weeks pregnant when when she kicked him out, and then they started started divorce proceedings. So, so she he had cheated on her once before. Yeah. Well, um, how much money do you make? Seventy thousand. All right, it's pretty good. Pretty good, right? Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I'm 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 a homeowner, full time job, do freelance work as well, so. Now, when she says she found out that she was pregnant, I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean she doesn't know how you get pregnant? I mean, this was her second child. She knows the steps that you need to take to get pregnant. So how did she, was she not on the pill? Was she, I mean, how did she get pregnant? Well, I think they were planning on having a second child. Um, but they, oh, so she, had, he like, cheated on her once. Sorry, he cheated on her once, and then she wanted to have another child with him. She, he, he cheated on her before they had their first child. Right. Okay. And then, uh, and then she decided, like, just give him a second chance. Didn't want to be a divorce statistic, and so um, that happened before they had any children. And then things were good for a couple of years, up as far as she knew. And then she found out about the second one just uh, after she, I guess, confirmed that she was pregnant for the second time. And what would you rate her looks, one to ten? Uh. Probably a seven. And yours? About the seven as well. Why would you be interested in a woman with kids? Well, it wouldn't be my first choice, but uh, well, pickings have been slim lately. And why are they slim? Also, uh. Is it because you're like your age, like finding a woman who's not attached and all of that at your age since you're in your 30s? Uh, is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, and um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I have to, I, I will only date a Christian girl. Right. And um, and then beyond that, there's, you know. Hasn't I'm, she sinned, though, by getting divorced? Let uh, what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. I mean, wasn't she supposed, in, in for better and for worse, in sickness and in health, aren't you supposed to stay together? Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, well, Jesus said, unless there's marital unfaithfulness. Oh, okay, okay. Like, right. So, he, so he, broke, he broke the marriage covenant, so she's free. Okay. So. All right, all right. Um, so... Is there any, why, do you, do you want to settle down and, and have kids and all that? Absolutely. Why did you wait so long? Uh, well, I mean, I was engaged when I was 24 uh, to seem like a great girl who I'd known for, you know, a couple of years. And while we were engaged, uh, she cheated on me. And so then I broke things off there. And then I was, yeah. And then I've, I've dated a few, um, like on and off since then. Uh, my last serious relationship actually was uh, a major struggle, and it was just theological differences. 
that cause stress. But right. Just differences right. in yeah, in belief. And so and, and this girl actually, you know, you know, we completely aligned there. So Well made it. maybe. Um what what were the theological differences you had with the other girl? Uh, well, I'm a Calvinist, and she hated that. Okay, okay. Right. So, so, yeah, sing, single mom is more in line with your beliefs than somebody who's not a Calvinist. Is that right? <laughs> well, uh, someone who agrees soteriologically with me is going to, at least that's one area where we're going to agree, right? And Okay, all right. Well, look, I mean, uh, you know, you say, well, you've never said to people don't do it. I mean, I, there's no point giving no point giving orders to people. It's not that's not philosophy. Right. But when it comes to trying to raise a, another man's children, ew. <laughs> like, I hate to put it, you know, I wish I could put it more in a more sophisticated manner. But what the hell's wrong with your genes? You know, like you, you have your own damn children. You know, when you raise some other guy's kids, pour all your resources into some other guy's kids. Is the ex-husband still floating around? Is he still involved? Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to hate you. And he, he he's going to have the kids for a while and he may turn the kids against you. And like, oh, my God, what a nightmare. That's true. I mean, good Lord. What a mess. What a nightmare. <laughs> and, and you're going to have these kids now, you know, before... There are five, apparently, you can do some work with them. But, you know, they're going to grow up. They're going to know the truth. And you know what they're going to say to you every other day? Oh, yeah? You're, you're not, not my, my real dad. dad. Yeah, you're not yeah. my real dad, you know? And, uh, man, I mean, why? Why Why would you want that? And, and if you want your own kids, are you going to try and knit them into this blended family situation? Well... I assume so. She said she wanted four kids, so <laughs> there's room for two more. Okay. But, but what if, what? I mean, so you're going to have two kids who are genetically disparate, which means could mean IQ differences. It could mean significant personality differences. I mean, it's it's complicated, to put it mildly, right? True. Is she getting um, uh, child support, uh, alimony from her ex? Uh, I'm not aware. I haven't talked about that. Does she work? She does. And what does she do with her children while she's working? Uh, they go to daycare. Right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, and I'm really sorry for the children. How many hours a week do you think they're in daycare? You may not have gone through all of this. I'm just wondering, does she work full-time? She works four days. Oh, no, she puts the kids are in daycare five days a week, so basically eight hours a day, like probably 40 hours a week. Right. So you know the facts that children who are in daycare for more than 20 hours a week experience exactly the same symptoms as maternal abandonment, right? So the children right. are going through all the same symptoms as if she dumped them by the side of the road. That right. is a giant mess waiting to happen, particularly in the teenage years. They're getting socialized by their peers, they're getting socialized or controlled by low-rent people who can't get a better job than working in a daycare. Mm -hmm. She's not a mom. She's a minder. Mm -hmm. Is she breastfeeding? Uh, I don't know. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. 
So that's going to cost some IQ points. <sighs> yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank heavens she doesn't want to go on another date with you. <laughs> and and you, you listen, Jeff, you could be just too functional for her. Let me tell you something. There's this weird thing. I, I only know this around women because I don't date men, never did. But um, you may easily be too functional for her. You may easily be too healthy for her. I mean, I remember going on a couple of dates or asking a couple of women out and we would go out. And they're just strange. I mean, they seem nice enough first time we met, you know, attractive women and all that. But just odd and quirky and they had they would just have these weird eruptions of of minor nuttiness and that that's it for me you know if you can't even manage a first date without some <laughs> eruption of crazy town i mean forget it i don't want to dig any any kind of deeper but but you you'd hear about these these men that these women had dated they would talk about and, you know this is another thing if you're going to talk to me about your past boyfriends on the first date <laughs> you're not getting a second to save your life but um but they told oh, this guy ran up seventeen thousand dollars in credit card debt for me and this guy was you know uh, turned out to be into drugs and it's like oh my god what do we have in common now i'm sadly you guys both have a history of cheating partners right i mean you when you're 24 and she was when she was in her late 20s, early 30s, early 30s, I guess. So there is that. But um, she had a man who was sleeping around while he was trying to impregnate his wife. Mm-hmm. After he'd been caught once already. And I assume she'd issued some kind of ultimatum, like, if you do this again, we're done, right? I assume so. So this is the kind of gene pool you could have waded into. Because these children have been half made by a guy who thinks it's a great idea to have an affair while he's trying to impregnate his wife after he's already already been caught and received an ultimatum. That is not top shelf IQ material. And so you've got these kids, well, let's just say they might have a few bits of undertow when it comes to the old IQ bell curve and they're being dumped in daycare 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Landmine. <laughs> actually two. No, three. Actually four. One landmine is trailing after you, staring at you resentfully because you're banging the mother of his children. Right. Why? 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 Why would you want to get involved in this? Like, why is this even on the table? Why is this even an option? Um, I mean, Pickens may be slim, but not that slim, really. <laughs> really? Sorry, you said Pickens may be slim, but what? But not that slim, really? Like, oh. it can't be that slim. <laughs> I mean, unless you have, like, a third nose growing out of your forehead, you yeah, can't no, be that not. slim. <laughs> okay, all right. So, yeah, you I mean, you're a good-looking guy, and you make good coins, so why would you be floating around this this trailer park tabloid story waiting to happen. Uh, I, I just, yes, I thought I would see what happened there, but, um, and 
you know, there were, it was, she definitely was one of those cases where she definitely looked better in pictures, which is often right. But <laughs> <laughs> That's also known as the internet. <laughs> yes. Although, you know, not always, but, um, and well, he, sorry, go ahead. And, uh, yeah, there's just, uh, I don't know. It has been a while. Oh, well, sure. No, I, I get that. I, I get that. Um, I mean, if it's been a while since you've driven a car, that doesn't mean you want one that's going to blow up, right? <laughs> you know, True. it's still better to not drive. Um, but because here's the thing, too, right? I mean, if she's a responsible mom, she's not going to let you spend much time around her kids until you get really serious, right? Because she doesn't want her kids bonding with you and, and then you just vanish, right? Right. So what that means is that you're really not going to have much of a chance to see how the family operates, how the family runs in any kind of consistent way. You don't know what her parenting is going to be like. You don't know what her discipline is going to be like. If there is any, I don't know. Like, you don't know. And right. the kids are going to be on their best behavior if they're at all interested in having you as another provider or father figure or whatever. Um, so, you know, you're not really going to get a chance for much of a test drive before you get really serious. And then once you're serious and you start to get a relationship with the kids, it's kind of you, you kind of get embedded, right? Kids are like this right. amber that flows over the bachelor mosquito until your ass gets drilled into to make a T-Rex in 200 million years. I don't know. I may be confusing my analogies <laughs> here. But but uh, no, it's uh, – I mean, it's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, you have your own kids, you know? So maybe you've got to date a woman who's not quite as attractive. Or maybe you have to date a woman where there's theological differences. But you don't have some creepy ex floating around who – doesn't sound like the sharpest tool in the shed and uh, you don't have kids who are traumatized from daycare and, and you don't have like, I mean, come on, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I'm not ordering you. Obviously I can't and it makes some of my opinions on the internet, but um, I think you got to hold yourself to a bit of a higher standard than this mess, in my opinion. If you listen to this show in particular, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. I just, yeah, like I said, I hadn't heard you say outright no, but then, yeah, you did say at the beginning that, uh, you know, you never tell people what to do either. And I don't I, tell people I, what to do. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not what philosophy is all about. Yeah. Right. Choices and options and perspectives. I make arguments. Um, I don't pretend, like, I mean, I don't override free will. Not that I even could. It's just recognition that you can't, right? So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, view this as a bullet dodged and view this as a compliment. You know, if, if a woman doesn't want to be with you and the last guy she was with was banging some other chick while he was knocking her up, consider that a compliment. Oh, am I not up to your lofty standards, honey? Okay, I guess I'll just move along. <laughs> yeah, make yeah. good money. Yeah, I'm single. I'm unattached. Make good money. And uh, I'm a good looking guy. Uh, unattached. I don't know any alimony, child support to other people. I'm a nice guy. Let's do a philosophy show. I'm into peaceful parenting. I guess I'm just not your type, am I? Maybe if I had tattoos, swastikas, and was banging some other, was banging your sister when you met, maybe you'd be all over me. But <laughs> yeah, I consider this uh, um, a, a compliment. Um, that's how I would take it. But yeah, I mean, if I were in your shoes, um, the moment I see kids, I'm swiping left or whatever the hell you do on these things. Right. Yeah. All right. I agree then. And uh, I definitely can relate to what you said about how you, had girls, you know, that kind of will disqualify themselves from you because, you know, they're too messed up and I've had that before. 
to experience that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they're they're so, looking for they're looking for something way kinkier than I could bring to the table. They're looking for something way more self destructive than I could conceive of bringing to to the table. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, the first couple of times this happened, I'm like, wow. I can't imagine why they. I can't. I can't. Find, I can't fathom why anybody doesn't want to date me. But that's just my particular perspective. But uh, if you're like, wow, that's odd. You know, they didn't seem to be that successful themselves. Yet somehow I don't seem to be up to. Oh, right, right. They don't want their crazy showing up against my sane because then they'd actually have to change what they think and how they live. So no, they want to stay in the underworld of dysfunction and all that. And. I'm not there. So moving along, <laughs> moving along. Yeah, I'd, I'd stay clear of that kind of stuff. Uh, and if it means you got to compromise in other areas, so be it. It's a better choice to make. All right. You'll be a better father to your own kids anyway, in my humble opinion. I mean, just, just biologically, there's there's a bond. There's a bond. There's a bond. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't be a good blah, blah, blah. You know, I get all the comments. Yes, you can be a good father to kids that aren't your own. I just think it, you know, I'm into evolution and biology and I think there may be a tiny little bit of an edge if they're actually the fruits of your own loins. You know, that's a DNA thing. But anyway, so I hope that helps. Thanks so much for calling in. Thanks, everyone, so much for your support. Most kind, most generous support of this show at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Really, really appreciate it. If you could be very kind and use our affiliate link, if you've got shopping to do, that's fdrurl.com slash Amazon. Really appreciate that. And uh, fdrpodcast.com to share the shows, like, subscribe, and share every video that you like that you can get a hold of. And um, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time, your honesty, your openness, your attention, and your love. I will talk to you soon.